Hey guys, before we start the podcast today, just wanted to mention if you guys haven't heard, um, there have been some recent allegations against Bob Morley by his ex-girlfriend, Aaron Zek. We just wanted to say that we 100% stand with and believe Aaron. People who come out about these sort of things, they have nothing to gain, but they have everything to lose. So we absolutely believe Aaron. And um, if this makes you upset, good, you should be upset. Um, it's terrible. In the same way that you're still allowed to love Harry Potter, even though JK Rowling is a piece of garbage. If Bellamy meant a lot to you, means a lot to you, helped you through something important, Bellamy no longer has anything to do with Bob Morley. You're allowed to still love Bellamy, love who he is, love, love what he stands for. But to be clear, this isn't about us. This is about the emotional and verbal abuse that Aaron suffered. And I think we all need to stand with her at this time and stand behind her. Loving Bellamy does not mean that you love Bob Morley. I've met Bob Morley several times and I have several pictures with Bob Morley. So I understand being upset. I spent money on Bob Morley, but I will no longer be spending any money on Bob Morley, if that makes sense. I still love Bellamy, but I love being a feminist and an ally to victims and women more. So we just wanted to make where we stand really super clear for everybody who's listening to this podcast. And um, I guess that's it. So enjoy the podcast. Like you're really, imp you're implicating Cookie Man right. in things that he did not do, I Cookie assume. Man is innocent. <laughs> Justice for Cookie Man. Justice for Cookie Man. Hello and welcome to Our The Hundred Podcast brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 25-year-old actor and drama instructor. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. And our fun fact for this episode is what our favorite board game is. It's supposed to be something about chess, but I don't know anything about chess, and neither does Sam, I don't think. No. So we decided to just make it about board games. Um, my favorite board game, I love a good Monopoly. Mm. Um, but it has to be one of the themed ones. I would say that ultimately my favorite board game is a game called Mall Madness mm. um, that I played in my youth. An excellent choice. Yes, I still sometimes play it to this day. It's quite fun. Big fan. And my name is Samantha Coley. I'm a 27-year-old marketing coordinator and television critic. I'm a senior writer and the social media specialist at Telltale TV. I like over 40s OTPs and hiking playlists. I'm on Twitter at Sam Casey's where you can find me yelling about television and fangirling middle-aged actresses. Um, my favorite board games are probably a toss-up between Clue, mm -hmm. which is like, I've, I've always loved yeah. a murder mystery. Also, the movie Clue, great film. Mm -hmm. Watched it like probably a hundred times. But my ultimate favorite board game is probably Parcheesi. Mm, I've never played it. Uh, it's really fun. It's really simple. Like, the the task is just to get all four of your little players, I guess, around the board the whole time into the, like, home square. And all you do to move is, like, roll a dice. But it's quite fun, and it gets very, like, intense if you're playing with a competitive group. So it's kind of like Sori, except without the Sori part. Like, without the part where it goes to the, to the start and stuff. Yeah, kind of. It's like Sori and... Like, trouble. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So, because, like, you can send people home if you, like, land on the same square. Mm -hmm. It's very fun. Cool. Today we have words to say about episode 707 of The 100, The Queen's Gambit. So, The Queen's Gambit is a chess opening in which a player risks one or more pawns or a minor piece to gain an advantage in position. It is one of the most popular openings because of its attacking prowess. Like, white will be attacking, and it will be up to black to defend correctly. If you enjoy putting constant pressure on your opponent, then the Queen's Gambit is a perfect opening for you. 
is what I saw from um, the internet. The internet. I gave it a goog. Oh. Gave it a quick goog, and that's what it came up. A um, goog. Of course, before we start, we're going to go to our thoughts from listeners. So starting on SoundCloud, we got a um, comment from XOLoveLeone underscore SS, and um, they said Murphy knew that he wasn't at risk of Indra cutting him down because she needs him as Daniel Prime. He used his leverage and importance to protect Maddie because he knew he could easily stand between her and Indra, and Indra can't do anything. That makes me feel better. Yeah. Because I genuinely thought they were trying to tell me that Murphy was going to risk death for <laughs> Maddie, and I was like, that just don't seem right. I just, I don't buy it. I just don't believe it. Um, and then L.A. and Lot got back to us. Um, a couple of people did as well um, that Lindo was actually in the bunker and he was the dude who ate first when Octavia went murdery. Oh, that um, guy. So thank you guys for reminding us of that. Um, that's why you're here. We can't be remembering everything. It's hard. And you don't have to remember everything either. But I feel like together, together we can remember most things. All of us will probably remember every detail of this show. Like together you know yeah. what i mean so if we mess up anything else you guys are great to uh <clears throat> correct us yeah so we also got a few tweets on twitter from kelsey who is at fraser crane 23 um and she was saying that she thinks the whole thing with murphy and jerry was very much about the shifting of power and trying to get all the different factions to unite and by murphy humanizing himself with this faithful man i have a feeling that will come back at some point like, this put a little bit of a hint into these Sanctumites' minds that maybe these Sky people aren't all bad. Maybe that will help them later on with the stories combined. It was a small scene, but it felt like it had a lot of weight to it. Mm. I agree. Thank yeah. you. It's, like, it's hard, you know, as as many problems as we have with this show lately, like, every scene really does serve a purpose. Oh, yeah. Even if the purpose, like, doesn't seem important at the time. Yeah. Or important at all. At least they, <laughs> the writers, I'm sure, thought that it was important, you know? Right. So, yeah, I like being able to kind of read into those sort of things. And we also got um, a tweet from Joanna, who was at Veridissima, and she said that she actually read the conductor thing as the meaning of the train conductor, because mm -hmm. the anomaly stone is a mean of transport, which is kind oh, of like a train. That makes so, sense. That yeah. makes sense. And then we also got a a tweet from Anya's, it's, I feel like it's Anya So Games. You know, you know when when people's usernames are like multiple words, but the words could make any number of, of words really, you know? Mm -hmm. Like is it Anya's or is it Anya and then a word that starts with S? You know what I mean? Right. I just don't know. Anyway, they said something about um uh something later in this episode that I just wanted to make sure that I give them credit for before I forget. Mm. Um and so I'll bring that up when we get there, but uh it was a really good point that I totally didn't see when I did my rewatch, so. And we also got an email from Alicia. She said, I love your podcasts. I listen to Riverdale the 100 and eventually I will start watching Lost because of me. <laughs> and she said she'll listen to the podcast. Um, thank you. Um, I truly feel that um, my main goal and reason for being on this earth <laughs> is to get more people to watch Lost. I think that I'm really doing a service to humanity in you this are. way. Um, so if I can just um, continue keeping that going, I really feel like I get good good place points every time I do it. So if you guys <laughs> want to help me get to the good place, um, just start watching Lost. Uh, yeah. That would be great. And I'm interested in speaking with anybody about it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so some of her thoughts about... Um, the bunker and earth and anomaly and everything she said if it's in the bunker how did nobody find it that many people in that long of a time how would nobody find it and accidentally like zap themselves to another planet remember at the end of season five when mccreary destroyed the earth and monty said 10 years later the earth was still on fire 
yes, it's been over 130 years, but if the Earth anomaly is offline because the Earth was destroyed thanks to McCreary. So do you think, I guess is the main question from this paragraph, is do you think that the anomaly goes offline, like can go offline if like it's destroyed? Can the anomaly be destroyed? Or did somebody have to go and shut it off? Like when Cadigan went through the first time, like, we did assume, they shut it through? Did they it off on their way out? Or? Because clearly, when it was shut off, when the Sanctum one was shut off, when when Gaia went through, mm-hmm. they were still able to go through as they were shutting it off. Right. So I'm wondering if maybe Cadigan shut it off as he was leaving. Right. Or if it can be shut off, like turned off by everything exploding. In which case, like, is the bunker still intact? <laughs> right. I don't. Maybe. If it's in the bunker, I don't know. I assume that question will be answered next episode. Well, I mean, that's not the spot he nuked, technically, so yeah. Yeah. it's entirely possible that it's still alive. Um, she also said, from the flashbacks, Becca doesn't seem like a terrible person. No. Like, she, like, she did create Allie, who initiated Prime Fire, and Allie was evil and didn't like humans. She turned them into mindless, painless zombies. Becca helped Allegis and created Nightblood, so how could someone who wanted to help people create something that annihilated so many people? Well, it, it's all about intention because she created Allie to help people Mm -hmm. and then it backfired because technology if we sometimes technology gets to a point where it like grow sci-fi has always done this Mm -hmm. (laughs) where it like you 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 go too far with technology and trying to like make life easier and then you destroy life yeah and it's always it's always in the pursuit of making life easier and making life better for people and then technology turns on you. Yeah. So it's like a... It's a metaphor. Um, she also mentioned about Anders and the name of the episode, which is Queen's Gambit. Um, something happens in Arrow. The I think it, she says Anders plays a villain in season four. So I assume it's like the actor, oh, the guy yeah, who plays yeah, yeah. Anders, plays a villain in season four of Arrow who has magic and orders people and is the head of everything. The Queen's Gambit was the name of a yacht that went down before the show and catapulted the main character to become who he is when the show starts. Oh. So, um... That is something That's to interesting. Um, mention. Um, and then she also said that she loves the pod as always. So uh, um, we appreciate you, Alicia. And she also said that her Tumblr is lilacs and orange blossoms. If you guys want to follow her on Tumblr. Cute. Okay, cool. That uh, Those were our thoughts from listeners for this episode. Um, we think that probably there will be some more thoughts from listeners for this episode from people. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast um, about how we are hoping that you guys are interested in maybe sending in voicemails for a segment next episode. Yeah. So um, we are going to be doing Sanctum and Bardo for our storylines this episode. And we are starting with Sanctum. You all know why. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is my summary for the Sanctum storyline. On Sanctum, Murphy and Amori are hanging out in their room. Amori is planning on a reunification ceremony for the Nulls and their families, so she has to collect the DNA of all the Nulls to match it to parents in Sanctum. Murphy has to go and bring Russ Hedda his food. Jackson talks with Maddie. He's basically putting her through therapy, and I cannot stress enough how much being a surgical doctor does not make you qualified to practice psychiatry. It sure don't. Maddie is still drawing weird things and tells him that she was never allowed to play with other kids because her parents were worried she might bleed and get taken away. Jackson lays out a bunch of subtext that I guess would be meaningful if you weren't already reading into subtext. Maddie goes to play with the kids finally, and Amori comes to chat with Jackson. They talk about the DNA thing. Murphy finally gets to wrestle, and they play a game of chess. Russell says that if Murphy wins, he can make him a hero, which Murphy doesn't care about, but knows that that implies something bad is going to happen. Mm -hmm. If Murphy loses, either way, people die. Elsewhere, Nikki is trying to unify her group with the Cogs, and Nelson is considering it. Amori talks to him about the reunification and how she relates to him and would give anything to see her family again and tell them how wrong they were about her. 
Maybe one day she'll bring up Otan again. <laughs> Nelson walks away, but Amori grabs the cup he was drinking out of. At the party thing, Nelson's parents show up. His mom seems pumped to meet him, but his dad wants to hear Daniel's opinion. Daniel is still stuck playing chess with Russell, though, and they talk about how Shade Hedda is a misogynist and how he got killed by his flamekeeper. Boop. Nelson finally shows up to the party, and Amori tells him that she already found his parents. Meanwhile, Murphy has just been playing chess this whole time, and Russell <laughs> is about to win, but stalls. Murphy works out that he's being kept away from something important, and Russell grabs him and threatens to kill him if he says anything. Yikes. Nelson's mom is so happy to see him, and she reveals that his original name was Suchin, which is heckin' cute. His dad, since he didn't hear from Daniel, I guess, is like, hmm, no, we made the right choice, you should have died. It is kind of deeply heartbreaking. His dad tries to kill him, but Nelson fights back and stabs his dad. Nikki comes in, shooting off her guns. Once they hear gunfire, Russell allows Murphy to yell for help, which he does. Nelson's going to kill Amori, but Nikki stops him. Yikes. Oop. So we are kind of, like, stopped right in the middle of all the chaos, and I assume we're not going to see any of it next episode, so we're going to have to wait until 409 to even see how this kind of pans out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the storyline starts with Murphy just, like, smiling in his sleep, so he's just, like, having nice dreams about what? I do not know, but he is so happy. About Amori. <laughs> Um, he's shirtless again, so we just like putting, having Murphy shirtless this season for some reason. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, don't you enjoy Murphy being shirtless? No. Okay. It's because Bob's not here. Yeah. And he can't be shirtless. I appreciate everyone else who wants shirtless men. I, I personally, I like, I identify as ace, if you guys didn't know this already. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just like, or we could wear shirts, you know? Like, why, why, why don't we just wear shirts? That's fair. And that's just how I feel. (laughs) Not to say Richard doesn't look good without a shirt. Of course He not. looks great. Yes. But uh, whenever I see people who aren't wearing a shirt, I'm like, feel like I should avert my eyes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also, like, especially on TV as well. Yeah. And when they're in, like, a scene where it's, like, just them, like, clearly, like, if if Indra was here, uh-huh. Murphy wouldn't have his shirt off. You know what I mean? Like, it's just because Amori is there. And so I'm like, I'm not Amori, so I shouldn't, like, I don't deserve. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not part of this. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Not to say that other, like, other people enjoying it is bad. It's just, that's just a me thing. Right. Um, I noticed that, I feel like I noticed this before, but this is the first time that I'm bringing it up, but Amori, like, only wears blue right yeah. now. And it's because every time we've seen Kaylee, she's all, always wearing blue. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's just something she, like, Her signature color. Yeah, learned about Kaylee, or, like, maybe she has, like, a closet in the castle or something, and that's all of Kaylee's clothes because she's always wearing blue. Murphy mentions that Indra is off looking for everyone, so we don't see Indra this episode, but um, we get that throwaway line that kind of tells us where she is, and also I assume in 409 or maybe later, she'll come back and eventually be like, I don't know where anybody is, and then that's when, maybe when these will start to converge again, mm-hmm. hopefully. I was sitting here thinking about, like, how it could have been cool if they wanted to explore, like, a prime wanting to, like, switch genders mm. and, like, try out the a different body yeah. than they normally get. And why not? Like, right? Like, you're you're immortal. Yeah, you can do it. You Like, you can just keep doing it. Like, if you don't like it, just, like... <laughs> just get another one. <laughs> get another one. Or, like, not even... Not necessarily, like... Like, then you're gonna have to wait in line. And you don't want to wait in line for right. too long, you know? But, like, you know, live in this life, in, in this body for 50 years, and then after that, just, like, mm, like, on your deathbed, be like, I'd like to go back to a boy body, please. Right. Like, why not? <laughs> Gender is a construct. Exactly. Do whatever you want, you know? Do whatever you feel. Who cares? Um, so then they start talking about the reunification ceremony, and she was saying that it's Kaylee's dream, and I think it's, like, really cool how much, like, Emory really, like, kind of looks up to Kaylee and, mm-hmm. like, relates to her. 
like, I know that Kaylee, first of all, was a prime and, you know, definitely had her problems. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's cool that Imori got to be Kaylee and then it turned out she was also, like, really, um, like, she really kind of agreed with a lot of the things that Kaylee thought. Um, she said that there are people who specifically favor Daniel, so he, it's really important for him to be there. So she says that so that we can be like, oh no, Murphy's not there. Oh no, he's not coming! Yeah. And then they have a cute little conversation about how they're in love, and it's great. It's really cute. I'm glad that, you know, as the only, like, couple that 100 seems to really pay a lot of attention to anymore, mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad they're doing well. They definitely have content. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So moving over to Maddie and Jackson, um, Maddie has done another drawing of an anomaly stone and it's like the anomaly stone turning on and there are people there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if that's supposed to be like Clark when she went into the anomaly stone with Raven and co or if it's just supposed to be like a commander. I don't know. Either way, she sees the anomaly anomaly stone turning on. Right. Because we thought her drawing the anomaly stone originally meant that one of the commanders had seen it before. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that's, like, because I don't think that Clark's memories now, like, go back into that. Like, I think it has to be something in the past. Right. Like, I just have a hard time thinking that it was, like, Cadigan, and then somehow the chip got back to Earth. Like, I just have, I have a hard time believing that. So it must have been, like, maybe the person was there when Cadigan went through, and then just, like, didn't go through or something. I don't know. Either way, we still have to think about that. I'm just like, how are they going to tie this into burning Becca at the stake? Right. Like, what? I hope we get a lot of answers next week, but I'm keeping my expectations low. Like, I assume that we will. It's just the amount <laughs> that is going to be answered is right. the question. Because I have my whole list of questions, and it's, like, mostly about Bardo, you know what I mean? Right. And so, like, I'm going to get a lot of questions answered that I had, like, in previous seasons, but I'm not going to be able to <laughs> check any of these ones off my list. <laughs> Um, Maddie continues to just be in really ugly outfits. I, I feel bad for her. Me too. Like, she used to look real cute in her, like, little, like, mini Clark outfits. Right. And now I'm like, ugh, where'd you even get those? <laughs> like, who did this to you? I like that at the beginning of season five, we got, like, Maddie being good at drawing. Like, Clark was very good at drawing. Yeah. And then she, like, kind of learned how to draw they, from something Clark. that they did together. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I like that that's coming back. That it's not just, like, something she learned from previous commanders or whatever. Right. Like, she used to be able to draw and she still can, which is cool. Jackson is not qualified to be a psychiatrist. I mean, as far as we know. I just think it's a really weird time to introduce the fact that apparently all ARC doctors were also therapists. Because that doesn't make any sense to me, and we've never addressed it before, and if they were, a lot of these characters would have been going to therapy a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the amount of years that you have to study to be a doctor is completely different than the classes you would take to be a psychologist or psychiatrist. Right. So, like, I have a hard time, with Jackson having been so young in the first season, I have a hard time being like, oh, he went through, like, eight years for surgery, and then another, like eight years for psychiatry like yeah like his time in the bunker was just spent going to like (laughs) psychiatry school yeah there's a word for that that's not what i just said but whatever psychiatry school um he says that they shouldn't use the word crazy um and said that she had a panic attack did she like maybe she did sure after like after he followed her because she like ran away and then he followed her right so maybe maybe he then saw that she had a panic attack or whatever Mm -hmm. but when when he said she's having a panic attack all she had done was ran away so and i'm like you can't diagnose that from someone leaving a room yeah 
I just like sometimes I, I wish that Brittany were here because she like actively has panic attacks. Right. But yeah, I don't I don't know if we should throw <laughs> around panic attacks. Right. Like, yeah. It so flippantly. Like it was. It, yeah. It was very much like you. It could have been could classified have been. as a panic attack, but it was very blasé for Jackson to just like diagnose it based on nothing. Yeah. Because then someone being like upset can be like. I guess I am having a panic attack. And, like, they're not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know those, like, girls who try to be quirky by being like, oh my god, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I like when things match. You know what I mean? Like, people are like, I have panic attacks. Sometimes I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, but it's a very, it's very serious, actually. And so, um, it's just weird to me that we're, like, throwing it around. So, like, like, who cares about it? You know what I mean? It's like anything can be whatever I call it because this is a sci-fi show and we make things up. Like, Jackson takes it very seriously. He takes panic attacks very seriously. Sure, It's yeah. just that, like, the symptoms that we saw was not a panic Jackson attack. Jackson takes it seriously. The show doesn't take it seriously. Exactly. Good, good point. So she talks about how she wasn't allowed to play soccer because she might scrape her knee and then we'd see the blood and, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Jackson asked her how she would feel, how she felt when he, when Bellamy asked her to take the flame. She said she was scared. And basically we just kind of get a, like a lot of subtext that we I mean, it's already stuff we know. could infer already and like basically already knew. Because it's, it's basically just her being, Jackson being like, and this person did this to you in canon and we saw it and it was sad. <laughs> and Maddie was like, yeah, that did make me sad. And she's like, yeah, I was scared. And I'm like, I already knew that. Right. I I don't want to say this about every single, like, because th- this episode was basically just, like, a string of one-on-one conversations. You know what I mean? And Which is fine. Like, yeah. you can do episodes like that. And so. I really enjoyed a lot of them. However, and not saying anything bad about Jackson, because I love Jackson, but both of the conversations that included Jackson, I was like, I already know all of this. Right. You know, like, this didn't add anything, really. Because, and, like, maybe not everybody is looking so far into subtext as we are, but I think that's what's kind of fun about watching TV sometimes, is being mm-hmm. able to just kind of, like, dig those out. And it's kind of like a little treat for the people who do care enough to go out and do that. Right. And so, like, when Jackson is talking to Amori in the next scene, and he's just like, Amori, you relate to Nelson because you were also thrown out. I'm like, bro, I put that I put that parallel together already. I don't why are you telling me? I feel like it's a really weird thing that's happening a lot this season, which is having the characters say things that we like already know mm-hmm. or 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 make jokes that are obvious, like the alley thing yeah. from the first episode. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Oh, that was so annoying. And it's just, I'm like, why is that happening so much now? Because I didn't, I didn't feel like in the first like chunk of this show mm-hmm. that that happened very often. Like I thought it was very like usually pretty well written, mm-hmm. and like you could infer things from like you know. And I'm just like, these are. It's not even like these are new writers. Like this is. Miranda wrote this episode, and yeah. she's written some of my favorite episodes mm-hmm. of this show. And I would like, say, ultimately, this is like quite a good episode. Oh, it's a very good episode. It's just like, why are we... Why in season seven, the last season, <laughs> are we saying things that I already know out loud just to fill space? Because here's the when thing. When you can tell me new things. There are a few episodes ago, I think it was the one that happened right after um, like the radioactive stuff. It was like two episodes ago-ish. 
when Nelson was like, when Nelson saved the girl who was on fire, mm-hmm. and then Emory was like, why are you saving them? They cast you out. Or whatever, right? Yeah. And then we moved on. I was like, ooh. I was like, ooh, I'm with you. I understand. Because she was also cast out and they asked something in common. And yes. And now they're like, would you like this on a platter? And I'm like, no. I smack it out of their hands. No. I did that already. It's just nice when it's subtle and like we figure it out on our own. Yeah. And like you you just understand what was like written under the surface. Yeah. But it's not, they're not doing that anymore. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he says you can be a kid now because you're not the commander anymore. And I'm like, girl, I know. And he also mentioned that he's going to be holding on to the book of her drawings. So I don't know if that's going to be important, but keep well, that in mind, I guess. what if she wanted to keep drawing them, Jackson? <laughs> well, she was like, yeah, that's fine. So <laughs> so I guess it's fine. <laughs> like, maybe, I don't know if this is just going to, like, go away now. Mm-hmm. Because, like, next episode we're going to get the reveal that one of the commanders did see that. Like, if it's Becca or whatever, I don't right. know. But, like, we're, we'll see that one of the commander, and then we'll move on from that. So, like, now that Jackson has been like... Maddie, I absolve you of the commander stuff. Now Maddie's gonna, like, stop drawing those things. Or right. So Imori says that she has almost all the DNA samples, and, yeah, like we just said, they're kind of using Jackson as a subtext sayer, and I don't think it's necessary. She says, why would she not do these things if it's helping people and it's helping herself? And I'm like, I agree. I love this. Yeah. I really love this for Imori. I think this is awesome. So Murphy somehow hears them from another floor, even though she's whispering. I like. I thought maybe maybe he's just assuming what they're talking about. If so, he just has really good timing. I don't know, but whatever. Um, so Murphy walks up to Alyssa, who is like one of the faithful girls. She's the one that originally like took, who was like, Russell, your plan worked or whatever. Um, and she's like, do you want me to take it in? Russie's, Ru- and Murphy's like, I would love that, but I have to do it. So, okay. Um, so he gives him his... <laughs> snack which is just like <laughs> a cookie um and the cookie has a note inside well, of I it. Well I thought I thought there was like a meal on there and like mm-hmm. also a cookie. Sure. <laughs> because earlier they were like gotta bring him his pound of flesh and I'm like okay. But either way the cookie has a note inside um and I was like oh is Cookie Man in on it? Right? Like it, it didn't, didn't seem like he was because he was like Cookie Man was on was like not on the side of the faithful. Right. And then I was like, maybe Alyssa just makes cookies because that time when she was like, your plan worked, Russell, um, she had brought him in the cookie. Remember when he ate the cookie menacingly? And we were oh, like, <laughs> and yeah. <it> was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, maybe she just makes cookies. It was, it's, but it's still weird though to like have a character basically named Cookie Man. Yeah. And like he has a name, but like, get out of here. His name's Cookie Man. Right. And, and have the note come in in a cookie. Like, why aren't we just making it, like, a cupcake or something, right. you know? Like, why are we bringing Cookie Man Or, like, in, in his bread roll. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're really, imp- <laughs> you're implicating Cookie Man right. in things that he did not do, I Cookie assume. Man is innocent. <laughs> Justice for Cookie Man. Justice for Cookie Man. So, basically, the, the note says unification ceremony today, and he's like, oh, okay. And he says to Murphy that Indra must trust him, and he's like, oh, no, she doesn't. Nobody trusts me. And he's like... <laughs> He's like, no, she has to trust you because she wouldn't have told you that I'm not Russell. I'm super evil. And Murphy's like, huh? Because he was not supposed to know that he knew that. Like, how do you know that I know that (laughs) she knows? Because Jane Hedda was supposed to think that Indra was still the only person who knew slash like Nelson because he told Nelson. 
And he says the reason why he can tell that he knows is because he's scared. Like, you can't smell fear, weirdo. Also, Murphy's like, I'm not scared. He says, I'm not scared, like, multiple times. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and then he's like, want to play chess? And Murphy's like, sure. <laughs> so, um, first of all, Murphy knows how to play chess. I guess he was really bored on the, um, the ring. On the ring because Murphy's an idiot. I bet Monty taught him. Yeah, probably. So he's like, I don't really want to play chess with you. And he's like, you have to because I saved your life. And Murphy's like, okay. So Shade Hedda... Okay, so Shade Hedda thinks that Murphy wants to be a hero. That's like his big thing. Do you think that's true? I I don't think that's true. I th- Like, I think Murphy just wants everybody to like, shut up. I like, I really liked the moment later when Murphy was like, okay, well, can you tell me how you want me to be a hero? It's not that I care about being a hero. It's just that I know that if there is a need of a hero, that something bad must be happening. And I'm like, what a smart, logical guy. Right. But I believed him in that moment. I believed in him when he said, yeah, I don't really care about being a hero. Right. Like, I don't think that that's like, even in his top five of, like, mm-hmm. mission statements. Yeah. Murphy is, like, the most reluctant hero on mm-hmm. the hundred. Yeah. Like, I do think of Murphy as a hero in, like, certain circumstances. Like, he has done, had his hero moments. He He's not a hero, but he has done heroic things. Yeah. And, like, if need be, he will stand up and, like, be a hero. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's a goal of his. Right. Like, he's just like, oh, God, no one else is here. Fine. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, but nine times out of ten, I think he wants people to, like, leave him alone and, like, let him lay in his, like, fancy silk bed with his, like, nice wife. And his little smiley dreams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so... Russell points out that he went in to save a child and like he did that of his own like detriment or whatever. And and he like Murphy had this moment where he was like, Oh, I did do that, didn't right. I? And I realized you're like, not a kid. Murphy has gone through character development, but then I realized like maybe Murphy doesn't know about his own right. character development. You know what I mean? Hopefully. Like, it kind of reminds me of like I was always a Slytherin, mm-hmm. but like when I had first read Harry Potter, I was like, oh, I'm a Hufflepuff, (laughs) for sure. And it took me, like, I don't know, maybe six months to a year to be like, wait, that's my bad, actually. I was like, I'm not a Hufflepuff. You know, like, maybe Murphy has gone through all of this character development, but he, like, he sees the picture of himself in his head so clearly that... He didn't, like, even consider that maybe he had become a better person or more heroic since, like, going to hell at the beginning right. of the next season or something. Especially, like, after <laughs> after he, like, helped Josephine and then regretted that. And, you know, after Abby died and he thought that he was guilty, guilty or, like, responsible for that. Like, I think that he's not a hero. He doesn't care about being a hero. Mm-hmm. But I think he's more heroic than he knows. Oh, for sure. I agree with that. So basically, if he loses, people will die, and what a high-stakes game. (laughs) It's like, either way people die, but, like, why are you- at that point, like, why are you playing? Mm -hmm. And so Murphy starts with the Queen's Gambit, which clearly, if he knows about that, I mean, I think that tells Shade Hedda that Murphy knows what he's doing, and it might be easier to stall than he thinks it is. Right. Um, so then we go to Nikki and Nelson to have a conversation, you know, because it's always just one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. So Nikki says that she wants revenge, obviously, which is basically her whole thing. Um, and if 
her group and the Cogs team up, then they can just take Sanctum. Um, and Nelson says that the Cogs do not want innocent people to die. He said that's part of it, so he doesn't want innocent people to die. I assume that's kind of because, you know, they were innocent people. They were right. babies. And they were, like, put out to die, and so that's part of it, so they don't want people to die. Especially if they're children of Gabriel. Um, Gabriel also was, like, didn't want people to die. So right. that makes sense. Uh, and it also makes sense as to why he tried to save the girl who was on fire. Mm-hmm. Because she was just an innocent person who got brainwashed and she didn't deserve to die. Exactly. Then Nikki says a really dope line, which is very, there is no good guys. She says, there's no innocent people at the end of the world. I thought that was a great line. It's very much the mission statement of this show. This episode is filled with really great lines. Um, I think Dioza says some really dope ones Oh, well. yeah. So apparently Nelson told Nikki that all the primes are dead. So Nikki now knows that um, that Amorian that Amorian and Murphy, Murphy are fake. Yeah, and she knows that Russell is also dead somehow because she says that he told him that, and she says death through primes was their mantra, and now all the primes are dead. So now what? Right. Like, what's your thing now? And it's interesting because later when um, he's talking to Amori, he's like, "My people are watching. You can't come talk to me." So I'm like. So, you told Nikki that the Primes are all dead, but you didn't tell the rest of your people? Right. Well, no, if they if you told the rest of his people, they would, like, lose, lose, their, lose their purpose. Right, right, right. So, when Amori walks in, Nikki says that she looks nice. Raven must have known she'd bounce right back. So, once again, she's bringing up the fact that Raven knew that Murphy and Amori were going to be okay, and when she sent in the rest of them, she knew that they were going to die. And she also says that she has a glow, which is, like, the main thing that people- Like, I saw tweets of people being like, Mamori baby confirmed, and I was like, God- no, no, God, no, no, God, no. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't think... I personally am not opposed to the Memorial baby, mm-hmm. but I know that you are. Yeah. And I respect you. My problem is, like, I swear, if this show ends with, like, Memori ha- like, Memori having a baby, and then, like, at the end, it's Memori's baby, who's the one who's like, and that's the story of Clark, or whatever. I'm gonna be <laughs> like, stop. Shut up. Like, if that had been, if it had been Jordan, if it had been Monty and Harper's kid, I would have been like, that is lovely. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's Monty and Harper, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, and Amori is acting more and more motherly, which I think is is lovely, and, you know, she's happier, and and it's great. I just, like, and I would I would not be opposed to Imori becoming a mother. Mm-hmm. It's just the Murphy of it all. Like, that yeah. guy, that guy just is not. <laughs> that's not that's, a father. He's not supposed to be a father. And I know that they're trying to make him more paternal all season so far. And I'm like, just, like, don't try and make him something he's not. Like, that's not the character development that he's, like, trying to do right now. Right. You know what I mean? And I just don't think, I don't think that, I don't think it's necessary. Every time they have a baby on this show, it just, they immediately age it up. Like, if you're on Sims, you know, and you just, like, age up the baby, Mm -hmm. just age it up a whole bunch of times so you don't have to deal with its crap. (laughs) Like, that's basically what they're doing this whole time. And so, like, if if Memori has a baby, it's going to be at the very end, and then they're going to see the baby grown up, and then the baby's going to be like, and that's the story of Clark, and I don't want it! I don't (laughs) want it! Get rid of it. Thank you. I mean, I I feel like this could have been done well, but I don't have faith that it will be done well. Mm. But at this, like, like, it's dumb, but I am just bracing myself for the inevitable right. at this point. I think, and Maury might die, though. And I know that I've been, would make me sad. I know I've been saying it all season, but there are a few things, um, like, we thought that the queen 
like the Queen's Gambit with the Queen, like Russell called Clark, well, he didn't necessarily call Clark the Queen, but it was implied because like when he was talking about the Queen, then it like transitioned to Clark specifically or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of seems to me that Amori is the Queen that's being, um, that they're talking about this episode. Oh, for sure in this episode. She's called the Queen a few times and Russell later says, um, when you lose your Queen, Mm. Um, like he says to Murphy, like whether you're a leader or a follower, it shows when you lose your queen and right. what happens. And then Murphy's like, don't do anything to Amori because he knows that he's implying right Amori or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. And then, you know, Amori got mega punched <laughs> and like Oof. almost shot this episode. So anyway, now that Amori has shown up, uh, Nikki doesn't want to talk to Nelson anymore, but she does say that her offer is still good uh, for a few more hours. So then she walks away. Nelson, like I said, is like, you can't talk to me while the other cogs are watching because I'm supposed to hate Prime, so I'm supposed to hate you. Yeah, he didn't tell his people about the dead Primes, but it seems like a lot of them are willing to do the ceremony, though. Like, I guess they want to see their families, Mm -hmm. which is probably, like, part of why they wanted, like, back in in the first place. Yeah. Like, they just want a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. So, like, they might be fine with this, even though it, like, is coming from a prime. It's just so different from what they know of the prime. Right. So she shows him her hand and tries to tell him that they're really similar and, you know, in a way that the Jackson scene wasn't. Like, the Jackson scene, scene, the part of the Jackson scene that I didn't like was that it was, like, too much subtext. But I didn't hate it here because she was talking to somebody who she really related to and, like, she was, like, one of the things about, like, acting when you go into a scene is I know that, like, you know, the, um, the, like, joke, the, what's it called? The, like, stereotype is, what's my motivation? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that is genuinely, like, a question you have to ask every time you go into a scene. What is my motivation? What am I trying to... It's it's, it's less of what's my motivation and more of what's my goal. Right. So in this scene, Amori's goal... Like, in the scene with Jackson, Amori's goal is to talk to Jackson. Right. And Jackson's goal is to talk to Amori and maybe get a little bit of information from her. Right. In this scene, Amori's goal is to convince Nelson of something. Mm-hmm. And that's a way more interesting goal than just talking to somebody. Oh, for sure. And since she is convincing him, she needs to, like, bring in things from her life. And so, you know, she gets to, like, say all the things and how she gets to, she wishes she could see her family again and prove to them that she wasn't garbage and she, she was worth keeping and everything. And I wish, yeah. like, that's what I would, like, I wish I could do that. And so I want that for you. And so Mm -hmm. it was just, like, even though it was, like, really similar information being brought up in both scenes, this one was way better. Yeah. But anyway, he's like, I don't care. And so he leaves, but he was drinking from a cup, and so she gets the cup and gets his DNA. Yep. Smooth. So, um, Murphy talks about how he hates chess because it has too much thinking. And I'm like, ah, there's my guy. (laughs) That's him. I found him. Um, and I think that he can kind of already tell that he's being stalled because he's like, wow, you took 20 minutes to to figure out this move. Right. Okay. He talks about, or Russell says that, (laughs) that Murphy could have, because he's a god, he could have any woman he wants, but he just wants the one. And I'm like, that's, that's right off the bat telling you how garbagey Shadehead is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're just a bad man. Yeah. Like, we already knew you were a bad man, but now you're worse. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then Murphy's like, well, it's really clear that you don't like women very much. And of course, everyone's like, I was like, well, sir, are you, are you calling Shadehead a gay? (laughs) 
And then the conversation keeps going and you're like, oh, no, you're calling him a, a misogynist. Yeah, Never mind. Much, much better. <laughs> he's like, no, he's, he's not that he doesn't like women because he likes men. It's he doesn't like women because he hates women. Right. Oh, okay. Honestly, I would rather um, let us call a villain a misogynist than a uh, gay person because mm-hmm. gay people are villainized enough. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with uh, queer people reclaiming villains, mm-hmm. but I don't like coding your villains as queer people. Right. So Murphy says that Shade had a new that everyone loved Lexa and really hated him. And so I was like, okay, but he was dead before Lexa became commander. I think he was the one right before Lexa. Yeah, I could um, see that. Well, that would like, that would make sense too, because then if like, if he, his initial rule was when Indra was like mm-hmm. mid-teens or like something. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I no, I know exactly what you're but saying. Yeah, yeah. The timeline the timeline works mm-hmm. out that for that to work and it would be him like yeah. in the flame like watching Lexa do what he wanted to do without, you know, killing people. Imagine being Lexa and like winning the conclave and then being like, "Okay, well, we're putting the flame in here just so you know, there all the other commanders are in here, including the garbage one that just came off like just getting murdered by his flame keeper and he might right. be upset. And so the fact that Maddie was like, I can't deal with this Shade Hedda character. I'm like, I get it. The fact that Lexa could, I'm right. like, wow. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Especially given that like with the timeline, she was also probably around Maddie's yeah. age when she became commander. Yeah. And he also claims to have been the one that united the clans. Um, Oof. Even though Lexa kind of gets the glory for that. And so I think that also makes sense for the timeline, that, like, if he did it and then she took the glory, it's, like, makes sense that he would be, like, that would be concurrent. Well, I also think it, it matters how you consider yourself uniting the clans. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, true, like, yeah. Like, Lexa clearly did it through, like, peace and, like, diplomacy and, like, negotiations and stuff. And Shade Hedda clearly did it through murder. Yeah. So- or in fear. Yeah, and yeah. fear. So Murphy says that his flame keepers banded, like all the flame keepers banded together to kill him. And last season we knew that his flame keeper killed him. But we didn't know that like all of them came together right. to kill him. So did we? Did we learn that? Like, did Murphy learn this from Indra? Like, how do how do we think he or Imori? Because it seems like oh, Im- okay, like yeah. he probably had a longer conversation with Amori about it. Right. Okay. And would did she get like? rejected from Sangeta crew or like what was what would have been her crew I feel like I feel like we might know that but I don't know it off the top of my head I feel like like she knew that one guy who she like burned alive and like called him a different guy right but but it turned out to not have been the guy right so like I don't know if that's like she knew him because they were in the same clan or if she knew him just because they were both kind of like thieves and whatever right um, let me take a look here. 100 Wikia. If anyone knows, it's the 100 Wikia. Imori. Let's see. Early, early life, perhaps. Imori is born with a deformed hand due to radiation. Because of that, her people considered her a stain on their bloodline. Normally, when a grounded child is born with a deformity, they are cast out and left to die. At some point in Imori's life, she, along with her brother, began working for Ali, connecting, collecting pieces of trash. We don't know. Mm. So, she was found in the desert, but it also looks like people who get thrown out from their crew it just says no bat nomadic grounders end up there yeah because like that's where like mike wheeler was at as yeah well. yes so uh, so we don't know for sure but yeah so you could you could assume any uh, variety either way it does seem like well first of all she got cast out as a baby so yeah. um so she wouldn't have their like oh yeah um, biases true. anyway yeah but 
But if she was Sangetta crew, like, she seemed to have a negative reaction to hearing that it was him. Oh, for sure. So I don't think that she was like, oh, dope, I love that guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so when they were talking about the Flamekeepers killing, like, the Flamekeeper killing the the commander, um, he's like, oh, they killed me like they killed Lexa. And I'm like, bro, uh, I- I'm sorry. Like, did, did your Flamekeeper kill you? Yes. Did Lexa's Flamekeeper kill her? Yes. But... Two different situations, to be honest, my guy. To be honest, my guy. You were there. Shade Hedda was there in Lex's head. Yeah, like, buddy, you, you, you know what there. happened. And Murphy was there. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't, like, in the room when it happened, but he was, like, there for the death. Like, he was there. No, he, he was in the oh, room. Oh, he was in the room. Yeah, he was in the room, because Clark was untying You're him. right, you're right. He was in the room. So, like, bro, we were both there, and we both know that's not the same guy. Right. Like, we both know. We both know... Titus missing Clark and shooting Lexa is not every flamekeeper banding together to take you down because you're evil. Right. Like, there's a big difference, buddy. I didn't consider that, like, maybe Shade Hedham might know more about Murphy because he saw Murphy whenever Lexa saw Murphy, which mm-hmm. I don't think was very often at all anyway. But, um, like, that's interesting that he might have information about him based on, like, right stuff that happened to Lexa. And Maddie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so yeah, he said, how you respond to the loss of your queen tells if you're a leader or a follower. So, you know, the whole loss of your queen thing, just wondering. Um, but Murphy is not a leader or a follower, so he says he's a rebel. And he also says, Russell says that Murphy has an inner need to be loved. And I was like, well, drag him. He's <laughs> like, we didn't come here for his daddy issues today. He did not come here for that. Yeah. <laughs> and he also talks about avenging your queen because he like got his like Russell took out his queen pawn and then Murphy took out another one of his and so he's like called it avenging your queen girl I don't know nothing about chess <laughs> but of course now he's worried about Amori um so I wonder if like if they kill Amori like Murphy's whole thing is going to be avenging the queen I, I don't want Amori to die but I could see them going there yeah and now that I'm sitting here like a lot of people are like speculating on whether Lex is going to come back and I'm not getting my hopes up because mm-hmm. like I don't want to I don't want to put my clown shoes back on. I I just don't want to. I'm sorry, but y'all have your clown shoes on too tight and I just I don't want you to be sad. Yeah. Like I'm keeping mine off. Like they're still in the closet, yeah. but I'm not putting them on until it has happened. But every time I walk into my closet, I look over there and I see them. <laughs> I see them. And now I'm sitting here like hearing you explain like what happens when you lose your queen to, like, defines who you are as a leader. And I'm, like, sitting here, like, Clark is a leader. Mm-hmm. Clark lost her queen. Ah. Uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I'm just in my feelings now. Lexa was a leader and she also lost Cassia. Yup. Hello. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, feelings. Feelings. So he's like, <laughs> you know what, John? <laughs> I like you. <laughs> and he's like, if you were going to do a survivor's move, you would stay on my good side. And I'm like, what a thing to say. Right. And he says that he has this crazy plan to like get back into power. And if Murphy wins this chess game, he'll tell him the plan. It's so funny to me how many like people just in the last like season and a half have just looked at Murphy and been like, I'll let you in to my power plan if you do nice thing for me. They're like, I and see I'm that you're like, I see that you're willing to betray your friends. Would you like to join over here? And I'm like, okay, but yeah, he's willing to betray his friends a little bit. Right. But that means he's also willing to betray you. Exactly. So not really sure how the, how he's gonna be help, helpful at all. <laughs> Either way, Murphy doesn't win, so we don't get to know. 
Um, at the ceremony, the Nulls are being reunited, and also Maddie is here. Um, Murphy is not here yet, and Amori's talking to Maddie, saying, like, oh, we're just waiting for John and everything. Girl, you are f- surrounded by faithfuls. People are gonna hear you calling him John instead of Daniel. Girl. Careful there, bro. So Nelson's parents arrive, and the dad really wants to hear from Daniel specifically. Sexism, question mark? Yeah. Maybe. What's that about? Um, later, um, what does Russell say later? He says, so I think that there is definitely, like, an, like, a, an element of sexism, Mm -hmm. but, um, Russell does say, and to be clear, every time I say Russell, I'm saying, I'm talking about Shade Hedda. Right. It's, like, interchangeable at this point. Just, I want to clarify every episode just in case you're not, you're not watching. Right. Just to be clear, Russell is dead. It is Shade Hedda. But every time I say Russell, I mean Shade Hedda. Thank you. Like, that's that's who we thought J.R. Bourne's character was going to be for a while, and it's it's hard to switch. Mm-hmm. But because he knew that the reunification ceremony was happening today, and because Murphy was in the room, he was specifically targeting keeping Murphy here because he said that Kaylee was always too soft. Mm-hmm. And so for there to be any real, like, progress made, Daniel has to be there. Right. And so I was like, does he know that because of Russell? Like, does he have all of Russell's knowledge now, I guess? Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Like, in that, like, you must have a lot of room in that mind drive because you have all of the memories of every commander plus Maddie plus Russell now. And Russell already had, like, a mind drive that was filled with lifetimes upon lifetimes. Like, bro. And it's like, didn't they take the mind drive out? So now you're just in a regular human brain. Yeah, yeah. So, like, how do you hold all of that? (laughs) Like, wouldn't his brain, like, short-circuit at that Mm. point? So, when they're like, oh, you know, Daniel's not- he's not here, and she goes, you know how he is with time. And so I guess she read the journal- first of all, this is a joke because time travel is (laughs) happening, and, like, time, you know, dilation and all this stuff is happening. Um, but also, she read the journal, so I guess she knows, and so that kind of, like, makes me think that she's writing in this journal, and she's like, ugh! Daniel was late again! That guy is so annoying! He's the worst brother ever! I freaking hate that guy! (laughs) And and Mark's like, you know how he is, and they're like, ha ha! Yeah, that guy was always late. (laughs) So we get a above, like, a bird's eye shot. Of the tables, which transitions to the chessboard, because we got those little squares. Yeah. Um, and Murphy says that he's most dangerous when he's cornered, and Russ Hedda is like, lol, same. <laughs> so Russ Hedda could win, but he chooses not to, so he knows that he's being stalled. Right. Um, and he, like, smashes the chessboard, which is, like, fine, because we knew that he won, basically. Right. Um, and he grabs one of the pieces of chess and, like, holds it to Murphy's throat. And you know what? It did not look that pointy. Like, it looked a little pointy, but, like, not that pointy. Not, like, life or death pointy. Yeah. Anyway, he can't say anything until, like, like basically basically he's just holding him there for, like, a while, I guess. Yeah. Um. So Nelson shows up. He's decided to meet his parents. Um. Like, he kind of looked, he still looks a little apprehensive. So I wonder if, like, he was already... Like, if he had the knife just to be sure, or if he was planning on killing his parents when he walked right. into the room. Because either way, he made the, the deal with already, Nikki. Yeah, because he already teamed up with Nikki to, like, throw down anyway. Yeah. I think he came prepared to kill his father. Yeah. And then he was thrown off guard by his, by his mom, mom being, so like, nice. really welcoming and, yeah. like, I love you. And, and then his dad was like, I'm exactly who you thought I would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his parents' names are Paula and Zahir, and they originally named him Suchin, which means pure, and of course is a nod to Suchin, who plays Jackson, mm-hmm. and it was lovely. So cute. I love when they do little stuff like that. Yeah. They pay homage to, like, the cast or the crew or the writers. I think it's really cute. Yeah. 
Um, and, like, no one else will notice, mm-hmm. but, like, fans who are, like, paying a lot of attention will notice. Yeah. And yeah. And since Lindsay directed, she knows how to pronounce Sachin. Yeah. <laughs> now everyone knows not to call him Sachin at cons. Yeah. I do have to say, though, the guy that they cast as his dad looks remarkably like him. Yeah, they have very similar features. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, and he's like, nah, we made the right choice. <laughs> and it's like, bro, that hurt. When me and Sam were watching it last night, we were like, oh, Oh, crap. Like, that hurted. Ouch. And Lee does such an awesome job of, like, really looking betrayed in that moment. Even oh, yeah. though, like, the heartbreak on his face is so good. Like, you know, when he meets his mom, it seems like he's like, oh, no, like, this is going to be really difficult right now because I don't want to kill you. And then when he does that, he's like, oh, great. My job, my job right. is easier, I guess. But it's still hard to hear. I wonder if his mom will, like, play a part in, uh, like, later episodes. bringing down, well, like, s- dissolving the tension, I guess, between him and, or, like, the cogs and the faithful. Like, bringing, yeah, bringing down the, si- the, the wall between them. No, the situation they're in right now in the castle, specifically. Oh. Like, getting to Dissolving Nelson. Dissolving the, the conflict. Right, and, like, getting to Nelson and, like, getting him back to, like, not being on Nikki's side necessarily. Imagine having to do that after your husband just died beside right. you. Okay, so here, so 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 let me uh, let me set the scene for you. Okay, so now after he like starts strangling Nelson, we get a shot of the kid, the Null kid from the uh, from the, the previous from episode, soccer. right? The kid who's like, "Yes, I'm a Null." <laughs> okay, let me lay it out for you. What should have happened? Okay. Uh-huh. So our main problem with that was the show-don't-tell element of it. You know? Right. You gotta show that he's a null. You don't want to tell me that he's a null. Okay? Right. Was it imperative to learn that he was a null right there in that moment last episode? No. It had nothing to do with anything. Really, right? It's just no. important later. So here's what you do instead. You meet that kid, and then later- and then- and then this episode, before we- like, before all the conflict happens, mm-hmm. we get a sustained, long shot- of this kid meeting his parents. Okay. Okay? That tells us that kid's a null. Because he's here at the unification ceremony meeting his parents. He's a null. Right? That tells us that. You don't have to say it. <laughs> this well, was it. This was the moment that they could have. This was the show. Well, now now looking at it, you're like, ah, the reason that they told me that is so that when I see him in the background of this scene, I know why he's here. Right. But what you could have done is just done that so that we'd be like, oh, and we put it together. I'm just saying that this could have been, this could have been it. So, yeah, he tries to kill Nelson. Nelson kills him back. Um, and <laughs> Kills him back is a funny phrase. <laughs> yeah. And he has a concealed knife, just like he did last episode, I think. I think it was last episode. Maybe the episode before, where he, like, goes in to wrestle and oh, yeah, he, like, yeah. has a knife. Because um, they when they search look. him for weapons, yeah. they don't do a very good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, now he kind of, like, looks over at his mom and he's like, crap, like, now my mom won't love me either. Like, yeah, heck. It's like, I made my choice, but I don't know if I regret it, maybe. Mm -hmm. So Nikki shows up with the guns. So first of all, she is the one that stole the guns. And second of all, Knight, you're doing a garbage job at getting them back. Right. Clearly. You have literally one job, Knight. One job. Yeah. So Murphy's allowed to yell for help now and, the, you know, the guards come in and save him and Russell puts one single chess piece back on the board. I don't know which one it was and if someone knows and it has significance, please let us know. Um, but I don't know which one it is because I don't know anything about <laughs> chess pieces. And Maury gets full on sh- just punched in the face. Just like, 
socked in the face. She gets punched in the face, and then, like, Nikki, like, holds her, like, hostage for a minute, and then shoves her away, and she goes, like, several feet. Yeah, she's, like, you know, maybe 30 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, she doesn't, like, act like she was punched in the face after she got punched in the face, and I was like, there could have been more done there, I gotta say. But, um... But, I mean, Louisa does, like, being in a stressful situation really well. Yeah, totally. So, the cogs are officially, like, in on Nikki's plot, and Nikki calls them cogs again. Like, she says the word cogs Mm -hmm. again. And he's gonna kill Amori. I don't really know why. Because they- I thought their their conversation, even if he didn't actually want to go through with it, I thought their conversation was really meaningful. Um, so I'm not really sure why he specifically wanted to kill Amori. Um, but she said that they need to make demands before killing people, so they're- they didn't kill Amori. I- well, I think he wants to kill Amori- for the show of it all, mm-hmm. because death deprived. Right, right, right. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of pointing the gun at Amori and Louise's acting, I heard micro expressions when that happened mm-hmm. were fantastic. Yeah. So, lastly, um, there is no resolution to this, and we will almost certainly have to wait until seven oh nine for any continuation of this story. Yeah. Um. Womp womp. Yeah. So before we move on to the Bardo storyline, we just want to tell you about Patreon. Patreon is a service in which you can donate to some of your favorite creators. Um, if we are some of your favorite creators, um, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash theaficionados. And um, for $1 a month and over, you get early access to all of our podcasts. Um, our Lost podcast and our Stranger Things podcast go up a week in advance on our Patreon and uh, at least one day in advance for our weekly podcasts. Um, a lot of people say that it's really worth it for them, especially for the weekly podcast to get them a day in advance. So if you'd like to do that, we would really appreciate it. Um, for $5 and up, you get 10% off at shopbelux.com. Um, Shopbelux is the little Shopify store that me and Brittany sell our art on. So Brittany makes resin art and I make fandom embroideries. I have six, the hundred designs, designs currently, um, including like lots of different other fandom designs. If you want to go check them out, I also do um, commissions. Um, They're really cute. Thank you. I'm looking at some of them right now that Sam has purchased. <laughs> she, well, you commissioned those. Yes, I did. Um, and those are Star Trek ones. So if you like Star Trek, you can check that out too. But um, basically, even if you can't help us out, you for $5 and up, you get 10% off. But you can also go and check it out just without the 5% off because um, that's another way that you can help us with money. Um, and you also get something really cool out of it. So that's uh, a really good plan. But if you can't help us out with money at all, that's totally okay. The next best thing you can do is recommend us to a friend. Um, it really helps us out. And maybe for a real quick second, like pause the podcast and go text one of your friends about one of our podcasts of which we have five and, uh, or tweet something about it. We would really appreciate it. Um, and we'll retweet, we'll retweet you if you, um, add us, which is at the aficionados. (laughs) Um, another thing is if you want to be featured in the, uh, thoughts from listeners section, make sure you use hashtag the hundred AF cause that's the, uh, that's the hashtag I look at. Um, to see if uh, you want to... What your thoughts are. Yeah, so... In the episode. Uh, alright, Bardo? Alright. Beep, or beep. Alright, here is my summary of the Bardo storyline. Gabriel is brought to the stone room, and Anders tells him that they know that he's been studying the stone and they want his help. 
They say that if he doesn't help, he'll be executed. Elsewhere, Octavia and Echo are rooming together. Echo has a flashback onto the Ark during those five years. She and Bellamy had been training, and afterward they talk about mistakes they've made, betrayals they've done to each other, their weaknesses and strengths. It's very sweet. Bellamy makes the first move and they start making out, and thus the beginning of Becco. Back in the present, as present as it can be when every planet is moving at a different time, she cries about Bellamy's death, which I still don't believe. <laughs> like, not that we don't believe Echo is mourning. We don't believe Bellamy, Bellamy is, is dead. dead. <laughs> Octavia tries to console her, but she's heartbroken. Octavia forgives her for everything she's done and tells her they're family now. Echo fights the hug, but fails. I recognize this Octavia from earlier seasons, and it's nice to see her again. In another room, Hope and Dioza are together. Dioza asks if Echo taught Hope to fight, and she says that her father did, Dev. She also reveals that she knows about Dioza's past, and that absolutely haunts Dioza. She never wanted Hope to know who she used to be. Thanks, Gabriel. <laughs> for just so much. <laughs> really. Dioza tells Hope about McCreary and how she slept with him just to get him on her side, but she doesn't regret it because now she has Hope. Kind of soft about it, to be honest. Hope is ready to fight whenever the door is open, but Dioza thinks that's dumb. She challenges Hope to fight her, and if she wins, they'll do her plan. They start to fight, but Hope is clearly losing. She finally breaks down and cries about how Dioza was gone so quickly and how her mom was taken away. It was truly, really moving. Honestly, all of the Hope and Dioza scenes are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Back in Echo and Octavia's room, Echo says that Ice Nation scars their faces to symbolize that the pain is over and they've moved past it. She turns around to reveal that she's cut her face open, her spy days behind her. Octavia points out that they're being treated too well here and Echo puts together that they're not prisoners, they're recruits. They need their help to fight the war. They leave the room, grab Hope and Dioza, and say that they'll help. Gabriel, back in the stone room and now in a conductor's outfit, is helping crack a code. He says they've been working on it for three months, and the guy he's helping says... The last time they cracked one was before he was born. It, it was how to use the anomaly. And I was like, like in general, is that the only code? What could you possibly have done before learning how to use the anomaly? Anyway, Clark and co. enter from Nakara. Luckily, Gabriel stops them from attacking. He tells them that Echo and Octavia are here, but Bellamy is dead. They all seem upset, obviously. But hey, at least the key is here now, right? <laughs> Anders is pumped. He walks down a hallway and gets in the elevator to level 13. And he goes into a cryo room and opens the pod of Bill Cadigan himself. We've been new. We've been new. Let me just say that if the fandom hadn't made such a stink about Bill Cadigan, this would not be the plot of season seven. Yup. They would have let Bill Cadigan coast without anything. Oh, fully. Ever. Like, we... To be clear, we personally, <laughs> all of us personally made this storyline happen. You know oh, what I mean? Fully. Bill Cadigan was never going to come back. Who? Yeah, literally. So I just wanted to say I'm proud of all of us, first of all. Great job, team. We we fit really fixated on the things we wanted answers on, and we might get like three answers. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so Gabriel is being held in the same room as Dioza was held because, you know, there's a mattress and it looks basically exactly the same mm -hmm. as we saw last episode. Okay. So there were a few things that I thought of while I was listening to last week's episode today. Uh, my main question is, I know that from the map we got, there are like um, quarters, like living quarters of everybody. And um, there's like rooms for training, like adolescence and everything. Yeah. Um, but my main question just is like, where where is everyone? Because the, the hallways are just like constantly so empty. Are they always in the Arboretum? Like, I don't- But they're not always in the Arboretum because Octavia ran out there one time. Yeah, like, they, like, is it just like once a week we all go to the thing? Because- Like, I'm assuming the hallways we're in are usually- Empty? Empty because we're- we've only been in prison quarters and- MCAP. MCAP and the stone, stone room. room. 
So, like, those are the the big places we've spent the most time. Yeah. So, like, getting between those places is probably not very common for people who live here. Mm-hmm. Because they, why would they need to capture their own memories? Yeah. They only seem to, like, travel with the stone to send people to prison or bury them mm-hmm. that we know of so far. And uh, I, they don't lock their own people up here. They lock their people up on a different planet. So. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? What do you even need a prison quarters for, like, other than, like, hostages? Well, they didn't build it. That's true. Bardoans built it. That's true. That's another thing is it's just, like, we're all, like, when Octavia first, like, ran into the Arboretum, like, the hallways there were empty. So I'm like, where is everybody? It was, like, my main question. Oh, also, speaking of the Bardoans, the script to screen for the Dioza scene from, was that last week? Yes, yeah. From last episode, points out that the eyeball scanner is, like, genuinely higher up than a normal human person can put their eye, and that I did not see that at all! Like, when the person, like, when they take Dioza in, apparently the guy, like, uses a handlebar to, like, get up that high, and then she has to hold the eye up higher than, like, she is tall. Mm -hmm. So, apparently the Bardoans were much bigger. But, like, not that much bigger. You know what I mean? Like, giant makes me think of, like, a giant. Right. But, like, the way that, like, the amount of tall that it seems that they were is just, like, Hagrid, you know? And Hagrid was a half giant, so, huh? (laughs) Anyway, something's happening there, and they aren't just- They aren't human. They aren't just, like, regular humans, and it's not just mythologizing, I guess. Right. So- Ander says that they believe that the anomaly is a gift from those who have transcended. Girl, what the heck does that mean? Like, Bill Cadigan has made up all of this random stuff and Anders is fully in. Oh, you know what completely. I mean? Completely. This man just made it up. Mm-hmm. He's a liar. Okay, my next question that I had that actually has not been answered, and I will add this to our like big questions um, that we have. Uh-huh. Uh okay. <laughs> Wait, let me write it down first. <laughs> It's gonna feel dumb once I say it, because it's like, why haven't we asked this question before? Are you ready? Oh boy. So they talk about the war to end all wars, right? And that's their whole thing. Who are they fighting? Who are you fighting? Who are you fighting? Like, who are you- who are we going against? I think that it has something to do with the code mm-hmm. and the, like, I feel like I I can't remember it completely because I've only watched each episode once mm-hmm. this season because I'm not as invested as I used to be and Robin does all the hard work. <laughs> um, so please, I, please donate to our Patreon. <laughs> I, God, I does, spend so much time. She does so much work. To be clear, like... I, the amount of work that I put into all five of these podcasts could take up the time of a full-time, full-time job, but I do it because I, it's a good time, okay? (laughs) For you! But I felt like when Gabriel was talking to, like, that other guy about, like, the code cracking and, like, there, I feel like somebody at some point on Bardo mentioned, like, an evolution of something, like, Mm. connected to the stone. And I'm wondering if cracking the code, like, leads them to the villain Mm -hmm. that they're supposed to fight in the war. Right. Oh, yeah, there's, like, more about that, I think. But I think that the main reason why I never asked that question beforehand is because I assumed that the, the war to end all wars was between, like, each of the clans' clans that were on each of the planets. 
But now that we've seen all the other planets, I'm like, no one's on Skyring. No one's on Nakara. Like, Sanctum doesn't even know <laughs> that they're part of, of, like, a war. All of these wars or, like, all of these, like, group of planets or whatever. No one's on Earth. And, so, like, like I, I, I thought that they were fighting all the people from all the other planets, but, like, we haven't seen, um, God, remind me what it's called again, the last one? Uh, Etheria. Etheria? We haven't seen Etheria yet, but, like, I assume... I don't know if there's people there. I don't know if there's people there either. So who are you fighting against? And like, if they are fight, like, I- I'm wondering- and how would Clark help? I'm wondering how it all connects too, because like, if it connects to usually the hundred, like, tries to they they start with like a lot of storylines and they try to bring them back together by the end of the season. Yeah, like, so I'm wondering how does this connect to what's going on on Sanctum? Like, are the people on Sanctum the enemy? Like, are the primes the enemy? Is Ru- is Russ Hedda the enemy? I don't- what's T? Like, how could Russ Hedda be the enemy when he was, like, just on Earth, like, a couple years ago? I mean, obviously it was many, many years ago in canon or whatever, but, like, really in the, like, grand scheme of things. I don't know, but- Well, maybe- what if it's, like, what if it's a metaphor for, like, what Cadigan and Becca did, like, by creating the flame and the commanders and all of that, and, like, they're their own enemy? Mm. Yeah, are you fighting each other? Huh? I don't know. Like, it seems... Well, when they Do talk they even about, know? Do they even they, know? When they talk about, like, code-breaking and, like, fighting the enemy and stuff, I am I am reminded of season one of Star Trek Picard mm. with the uh, synthetics and, like, how the Romulans interpreted, like, the their, like, mythical message that, like, made them want to fight in a war against synthetic life forms. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, but you haven't given us, you haven't given us both sides of that. Right. Like, on Star Trek, they did. And on here, I'm like, but what's the other Connect path? them. I've connected it. I've connected it. <laughs> Give us the dots. Yeah. So they say that winning the last war brings upon the final evolution of a species. Oh, okay. What? That's what I was thinking yeah. about. Not- Right. What species? Okay. You? I, okay. The, the Bardoans? So- he says, first of all, Orlando's dead, which we already knew, but we have Orlando's body, and he says that he hanged himself in the cabin, but we do never actually see if it really was him or not. Right, it could have been just, like, emotional motivation yeah. for Gabriel. When did Captain Meredith learn that? Like, and we also never have to see his suicide note. The timeline is really confusing, especially with Captain Meredith. It's really confusing, and you know what? I just, like, I'm just gonna give up. Yeah, like, when would he have, like, come back and told? Because didn't he die? Yeah, like, Raven killed him. Captain Meredith goes to Sanctum with the suicide note. So, the way that this makes sense in my After? head is, like, that that's something that, it's so confusing because, like, if I was Captain Meredith, this is what I have to do. I'm Captain Meredith, I live on Bardo. Then, either I go to Skyring or someone from, like, from Skyring brings him back, mm-hmm. including the suicide note. Okay, so now I have that. And then I go to Clark and then I get murdered at Clark, like with Clark and everything, right? But before I can go to see Orlando or whatever, before I know that Orlando is dead, Hope, Gabriel, and Echo have come through because they were doing that as Orlando, like at like when they left Orlando, right? right. So like they would have had to like the timeline doesn't make sense because Captain Meredith left and knew something that he, that timeline wise on Bardo he could not have known yet. Because, like, I don't know. Like, he would have had to go to Sanct- to Skyring. Or someone would have brought him information. Exactly. And, like, two episodes Before ago- they sent Hope back. Yes. But Hope spent five years on- Huh? 
It doesn't make sense. That's whatever. If y'all can crack it, let us know, but... Yes, please let us know, but it does not make any sense to me. Um, but the shroud that he's in does seem like the same shroud we saw in both the bodies at Nakara. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Standard. They just, like, you were right, they just yeet him into Nakara. But my, I told you. But my main question, like, where are all the bodies then? Do they all come out at different spots? Because it really seems like... In, uh, in any other case, the anomaly, like, it comes out of the exact same spot every single time. So, like, why is there only one? Was it, Are all the other ones just buried in the snow or something? Like, well, do we know it that you come out at the same? Like, well, on every other planet you oh, do. Like, on... It seems to be, like, a fixed point that the yes. anomaly shows up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe because the stone is moving, because it's in that alien's stomach, the anomaly moves. <laughs> sure. When it shows up. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I shouldn't have to come up with these answers. Exactly. So Gabriel gets to say goodbye to Orlando and he says death is life. But um, we saw it in our subtitles when we were watching on the CW, but they didn't come up in the subtitles on Netflix. Oh, really? Yeah. So we get we think that it's Spanish because obviously Gabriel, his last name is Santiago and his original body was you know, like, spoke Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird to me that he would use, like, a prime thing, like, like, death is life, which was, like, a real, like, prime thing to say when he, like, has completely, like, separated himself from that sort of thing and, and kind of conflates that with, like, something bad. Well, I feel like the the immortality of it all, he has, like, separated himself from, but that's also, like, pretty recent for Gabriel, I think. Yeah. And, like, so he, he, it would have been part of his life for, like, maybe a hundred years. Right. And, and I also think that, like, because he has sort of taken it on himself, it, it could mean, like, a good thing as well. Like, he wanted to die. Right. So, like... Maybe from his perspective, like, death is a... Is a cycle? Is a circle? Is a cycle and is, like, a, a blessing, maybe? I don't know. Sure. Um, however, the, the body that we saw last episode was not Orlando. No. So that also doesn't really root us in a timeline at all. Um, right, because, like, if he if they yeet Orlando out there before Clark even shows up on Nakara... What? Oh my god, the time is so weird. Okay, yes. This reminds me, like, if they had done this, it would remind me of something that happens in season four of Lost. Uh-huh. Um, because there's also some weird time dilation things happening on Lost where it's, like, the island is in a different place and then it seems like as soon as you, like, leave the bubble of the island, like, a different time right, type time, thing is happening. Time is different. So, at one point, there's a boat, like, minor spoilers for Lost, I guess, but, um, first of all, watch Lost. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> But there's a boat outside of, like, the bubble, basically, and um, our survivors on the beach, like, see the doctor from the boat, um, like, washed up on the beach and he's dead. Mm-hmm. And they're, so they, like, call the boat and they're like, hello? And they're like, the doctor's fine. I don't know what you're talking about. And then, like, two episodes later, you see them kill the doctor? Yeah. So, like, there you go on, like what the timeline is and what's happening there. But, like, they're just, like, not doing it here. So yeah. it's still confusing. So they, so Orlando didn't tell them about Nakara. There's a lot of things that apparently Orlando didn't tell them. Just straight up left out. I still think that we and could- And also Dev left out because, like, yeah. Hope is like, huh? About a lot of things, too. It's like, if you're going to give them disciples to give them information, it's hard for them to make- It's hard to make it make sense- that they didn't give them certain information. Well, I understand why Orlando wouldn't because, like, if he is holding stuff back from them because he's, like, more loyal to the shepherd. Mm-hmm. But, like, Dev clearly was, like, ready to risk it all. Yeah. Like, I still th- I think that they could have found a creative way to give us that information without making 
like Gabriel and Echo and Hope slash Dev and Orlando look like liars or like stupid. Oh, but like Dev, I guess Dev was only like level seven, so yeah. he didn't know as much. Um, so they said that Gabriel can help them unlock the stone and tell them about Clark. And Gabriel's like, okay. <laughs> Another person who didn't really know Clark Gabriel's that well. Gabriel's like, I hung out with her for like five minutes and my dead ex-girlfriend was like in her head most of the time. So yeah. I don't know what you want to know about her. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I talked to her after that, I was like, I like, that's just not her. So I don't know how I can help. <laughs> um, so they want him on the code break on the team. So I guess that's the code breaking team that Levitt is on. Unfortunately, Levitt is not <laughs> in the episode, but okay. I'm not bitter about it. Well, he wouldn't have gotten to see Octavia anyway. True. Maybe he's helping Octavia train. Maybe he is. <laughs> um, and they say that if Gabriel joins the team, he'll understand why Clark is the key. And that is brought back later when we see Gabriel. And they say it's been three months. And um, he sees Clark and says they've been waiting for you for a really long time. Yeah. So clearly he has learned that. Yeah, he's he's gotten some uh, indoctrination. Yeah, of course. So we get a flashback onto the arc, and they talk about how Bellamy took three years to finally beat Echo in a fight, and they say that Murphy wants a shot at the title, and Echo can coach him on Bellamy's weaknesses, so this just in, Murphy enjoys fighting Bellamy. Um, oh yeah, I will take that crumb. He's just Thank like, you. would love just, just to scuffle. He just wants to spend time very close to Bellamy. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, the closest I can get to a hug without it seeming like a hug is what I want. Is wrestling, so yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do it. So then Bellamy says that his sister's his weakness and Echo says that his, it's his strength. So what's your opinion? Is Octavia Bellamy's weakness or strength? I think Bellamy is... I just wish Bellamy wasn't necessarily defined by Octavia. Yeah. I like it better that it's his yeah. sister rather than like a love interest or anything. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like that's what... I mean, obviously Bellamy is Echo's like main person. Mm -hmm. um, so it makes sense that she would be really defined by what's happening to him and following him and everything. But I, I really prefer like the familial type thing. So it doesn't feel as oh, like, yeah. okay, we get it. She likes a boy. No, like I don't, I don't know. I, I am of two minds because I'm like, ah, yes, I am. I am pulled in by this relationship and the context and the familial bond and like me wanting them to reach a resolution and like find happiness again. Mm -hmm. And also like, feeling like it's one note. Does that make sense? Yeah. I like, think we're only contextualizing these characters in... Little pieces. Little pieces. And Especially it's Echo. Like, now we're getting another time jump to, to three months later? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. I do think Bellamy is can draw strength from mm -hmm. I think I think it's both. Yeah. I think I they're agree. both absolutely right. He his weakness is Octavia because he lets her take advantage of him in mm -hmm. previous seasons and like got too close and like it hurt him. But also like Echo is right. Like she's the reason he keeps fighting and mm -hmm. like keeps trying to get back. And I think that that works as a foil to Octavia now mm -hmm. because her weakness was like caring about her brother and like <sighs> also like feeling resentful of him in the first few several seasons and now he's the reason that like she's not a terrible person anymore mm -hmm. yeah it's like it kind of reminds me because like in the way that bellamy's strength is octavia wherein that like like forces him to keep fighting and like always wants to like finally go back and like never like give up and everything that's like exactly what's happening with echo Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that bothered Bellamy when he got down after season five, like, during season five, he, like, meets Octavia, the person that he was, like, looking forward to seeing again, the person that he was, like, fighting to see again, and then found that she was, like, a completely different person, oh, slash yeah. that Octavia died, and then that was completely different for him, and that's exactly what's happening with Echo, is, like, she was 
for five years was searching for Bellamy, looking for Bellamy, and then she got here, found out he was dead, and now she's going through some sort of rebirth as well. Right. So that kind of, like, really goes in that, but I also agree that Octavia is his weakness because just like he then says that loyalty is Echo's weakness, you know, it forces him and her to do things that aren't necessarily in their best interest. Yeah, and it also, like, contextualizes, like, her behavior, I think, a little bit more because... If he said loyalty is her weakness and now on Bardo to get people, to get back to him, she's just like straight killing people. Yeah. Even ones that she was loyal to. She's like, I'm not being weak, period. I'm getting Bellamy back. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he says that he forgives her for all the things that she did to him and that they're all a team. And she says, Bellamy, this isn't real. As soon as we get back to the ground and then she gets cut off. Does she mean that she doesn't think that there'll be a team anymore once they get to the ground? Like, this is really just, like, a thing that's happening right now, and it's not forever? I wonder if at that point she does think that when they get back to the ground, they'll ju- just abandon her. Right. How do you, how did you interpret it? That's kind of basically it, is that, like, she's like, I- they originally didn't even want me here. Like, you're the one who came to, like, get me. I was gonna just kill myself, and you're the one who came to get me. Right. No one else cared, except for you, and so then I came up here- and they're all acting like my friend right now, but, like... Right, so she's just basically once, saying, like... Once they're not forced to be with me anymore... Yeah. Then they'll just ditch me. Yeah, I think she does have, like, that... I think that's a valid fear of hers, because people have used her in the past, mm-hmm. and just, like, basically thrown her away when she's not useful anymore. Yeah. So, I feel like that that makes sense, mm-hmm. that she would interpret it that way. Yeah. So, um, she can't finish her sentence because Bellamy kisses her, and he kisses her first, which is interesting like it's always like once you get like an established relationship that you didn't get to see the 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 first part of it's like really telling as who ends up being like the initiator initiator yeah i think that it's important that bellamy was the initiator because of the like weird uh things that they've done to each other in the past and like how she kind of like hurt him before and like for it, for the relationship to work, it had to be Bellamy, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So Echo cries remembering it, which totally makes sense. And she's upset with Octavia because she made Echo sound like a monster to Hope while she was growing up. And of course, she's heard all those stories now because she spent five years with Hope. Right. Um, and Octavia says, we've all done things we wish we could take back. And I think it's important to see that conversation between Bellamy and Echo. And it's important to see the com- this conversation between Echo and Octavia. I wish it was, I just wish it wasn't the exact same conversation twice. Right. Like, what can we change about one of them to make it not the same conversation twice? Right. You know what I mean? Um, so there was some conversations about how Octavia doesn't seem as upset and like why Octavia isn't having as much of a reaction. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, you know, she's gone through this already. Not that she's, like, accepted it, but she was there when it happened, and she was obviously upset in that moment and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that Octavia really hasn't had, like, Brittany brought this up to me um, this afternoon. She said since Lincoln died, she's kind of, like, detached from a lot of That's stuff. true. I also think that Octavia kind of mourned Bellamy when she gave up trying to get back through the anomaly. Mm. Like, oh, in on Skyrim. On Skyrim. Sure, like, yeah. She she tried for 6 years to get back to him and like eventually gave up and like couldn't and like that at that point she had to tell herself she was never going to see him again. And, like, would it hurt and be awful to have seen him for the first time in over 10 years and then have him, like, supposedly die in front of you? Yeah, absolutely. But I do... It makes sense to me that Octavia is 
either repressing her feelings about it or has accepted has accepted it or a mix of both so octavia hugs echo even though she doesn't want it um she's like killing her with kindness kind of and she says it's not her fault and that they are family now and i really liked this moment because bellamy forgave echo for nearly killing octavia but i think it means a lot to echo to finally be forgiven by octavia yeah so I really liked that moment, and I think it was really important for, like, Echo's progression, like, as a person. I think it's also really big of Octavia. Totally. Because in season five, she could not stand Echo. Like, yeah. she hated her and was ready to kill her. Again. Which, fair. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? But So I think it's very big of Octavia and shows how much she grew on Skyring with Hope and Dioza as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So moving on to Hope and Dioza, it's revealed that Hope considers Dev her father, and she said- When she said that, we were both like, oopsie, that's not your dad. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, oh, did Echo teach you how to fight? And she's like, no, my father did. And Diosa's like, um, I I don't think that's right. I don't think so. I think he died before you were born. And it's like, you know, that's kind of a tragic story that you hear from people sometimes where they say, oh, I never knew my father. My father died before I was born. And you're like, oh my God, that's so sad. But like in this like instance, you're like, good riddance, bud. I'm like, in this instance, it's like, you're, you're better off, Hope. Yeah. You're better off. And then, and then in the back of my mind, I'm just like, we never saw his body. All she did was stomp on his head. Where is he? Is he here? Is he dead? Is oh, he alive? Yeah. They chucked him out the airlock like yeah. before they got to space. Right. Still mid-atmosphere. So then um, Hope swears a little bit and Dioza is trying to make her do dishes because for Dioza, it's only been like two months since she saw Hope. And Hope was 10 at the time. Yeah, exactly. So it's very trippy to suddenly have your daughter be 25. Mm -hmm. Dioza is really upset with her for coming to save her because Dioza wanted to be the one to save Hope and not the other way around. And Hope says that Dioza is just upset because she turned out to be a killer like her. And that really messes Dioza up because it's the first time that she learns that Hope knows about her past. Yeah. She was hoping that she didn't know. Yeah. This scene is really well done. Mm -hmm. I love this whole scene. Me too. And so she asks Hope how much she knows and Hope says it doesn't matter, but Dioza says that it matters to her and she would like to know. Like the softest in Ivana's voice Mm -hmm. in that part is just like, oof. Yeah, it's very good. Like, it's crazy to me that this, like, the scenes between Hope and Dioza are probably my favorite scenes of the episode. Mm-hmm. Although, let me do, let me just say, Lindsay did a fantastic job throughout the whole episode. I thought that it was shot beautifully and directed Fully. fantastically as well. Because it's an episode filled with conversations, mm-hmm. you focus a lot on, like, each character and their expressions and their feelings. And Lindsay framed everybody, like, really beautifully, like, in the Murphy and Russell. Russell scene, like, she played that that power struggle really well. She had, and like, then, a 360 shots mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. And then in, like, these cell scenes, she does these really intimate shots that are, like, really close and, like, show you, like, what's going on inside these characters' heads and, like, gets in these, like, hugs that they have mm-hmm. and just, like, makes your heart want to crack open. Mm-hmm. Like, the Hope and Dioza hug genuinely made me cry. I don't want to say that, like, having a director who isn't an actor is, like, not good or anything, but, like, as a person who has directed directed short films and is an actor, I really think that being an actor, doing directing is, like, a, a real asset. Yeah, um, it adds a level of... Especially in an episode it. that just is, like, filled with acting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really helpful to have an actor be the director, and, you know, we see that when Bob directs and I think Ian directed an episode at a some couple, point yeah. as well and there's an actor that I really liked in Rookie Blue Greg Smith who directs a couple episodes of Riverdale 
And, you know, it's, and Machen directed an episode of Riverdale yeah. this, this season. I think that it's a real asset to have um, an actor do directing. First of all, it's so fun. <laughs> I also think it's really cool to watch actors direct the show that they're on. Yeah. Because they know the show in a different way than like a typical director for totally. the show would. And it's it's just really cool to see it through their perspective. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's cool that my favorite scenes of the episode were between a character that we just met basically at the, like this season like the end of last season mm-hmm. and Dioza who just showed up in season five. Right. Um, but it meant so much. And I have to say like Shelby really pulling her weight in this scene with Ivana. Like, oh, absolutely. Genuinely both fantastic. So the things that she did learn about Dioza was that she was a hero who saved thousands of lives in the Battle of San Francisco. And I think we heard of the Battle of San Francisco before. Right. Um, but every time I hear it, it's so jarring. <laughs> I'm also like, what happened in San Francisco? My uncle lives in San Francisco. <laughs> I love San Francisco. She says that she was a freedom fighter, but Dioza says, oh, he used the word terrorist, though. And she's like, oh, what difference does it make? And I was like, the word you use, if you use freedom fighter or terrorist, it actually means a lot. Like, like well, I, under- yeah. I, I understand, like, in this context, it, like, doesn't mean anything to her. But, like, in the context of, like, the world, it means a lot to use the right words. I think for Hope, because she's grown up separate from literally every world, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't matter to her, like yeah. you said. But for Dioza specifically, especially, it matters what someone from literally her time yeah. would have said. And uh, it, it does matter that he mm-hmm. said terrorist, because like that shows how the world perceives her. And just in general, like... In the world that we live in right now, it's like, you know, there are white boys who commit terror acts Mm -hmm. and everyone just says, sad boy with mental health issues. And it's like, you need to call it what it is or else it's just going to keep happening. Right. That's a terrorist. Yeah. So to be clear, I understand that Hope doesn't think it matters to her at that time and maybe it doesn't, but like, it matters. Yeah. In general, the words you use. So she says that she was going to tell her when she was old enough, and now she's 25, but she didn't want her to ever look at her like she was a monster. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, Dioza has some really dope lines this episode, including doing the right thing the wrong way isn't doing the right thing. That's such a good line. Like, I I, I don't even know what to add to that. It's just like, leave that as it is. And and that just like says a lot. Yeah. 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 That's just much to think about. But she says the right thing that I thought I was doing, like innocent people died, including children. And like, I regret it. Right. Like she still stands by like the thing that she was fighting for, Mm -hmm. like against fascism, I think is what we're supposed to believe. I guess so. Yeah. That Diaz was fighting for. Like she still stands by that, but she doesn't like stand by killing all the people she did to like get her point across. Right. Or just, or like causing the deaths of the people. Yeah. So she starts talking about McCreary and Hope's never learned anything ever about him. Um, She says that she literally just slept with him to get him on her side. And imagine like growing up, not knowing anything about your parents and then like being, turns out that you were conceived under nothing, like no love, no love there at all. She said that she trained for 15 years to save Dioza and Octavia and Dioza's like, well, it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it could have if Gabriel didn't mess it up. You see, I was trying and that's what counts. So then she starts talking about how their their plan is to just, like, next time they come in, just start fighting. And Dios is like, it's a really great moment because she goes, you say that you're not a child, but you're still talking like a child. And Shelby's face mm. is like, ah! Ooh. ah! How dare you? It's great. She says that, um, oh, then they start fighting because basically they're just, like, having a scuffle. And I gotta say, like, 
shooting a fight scene is really difficult and Lindsay did a great job. Oh yeah. She says violence and rage will destroy your soul and that revenge is a game with no winners. So many good lines. Miranda. Hello. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. So good. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that reminded me of the iconic Taylor Swift lyric. I wonder if you can guess which one I'm going to say. <laughs> revenge is a game with no winners. What Taylor Swift lyric am I going to mention? Oh my god. Why can't I remember anything that I've ever heard? Please, please reveal it so I can kick myself <laughs> for not. You play stupid games. To win stupid prizes. You win stupid prizes. That's beautiful. So then we just get this moment where Hope has been beaten. Not necessarily, like, not beaten, beaten, but, like, she lost the fight. She lost the game. Yeah. And just starts crying about how her mom was taken away. And I get it. It's so good. It's, like, if my mom had been taken away from me, I would also like, be really, really upset about it. Like, that's the that's the point we were supposed to get to this entire conversation. Yes. Was, like, to get to the <laughs> crux of, like, them losing each other and how badly that hurt Hope. Yes. Even while it was, like, no fault of Dioza's. And, like, for Dioza, it's been two months. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, devastating for both of them because she missed... 15 years of her child's life and Hope had to grow up without her mom for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I like can't imagine how heartbreaking it must be to have had to leave your child not of any of your own accord having it only have been two months and then finally see your child who you left for 15 years just like start crying because because you left her. Yeah. Like just thinking about it makes me really sad. Mm Mm-hmm. So we move back to Octavia and Echo, and Octavia's, like, reading a book. (laughs) Do we know what this is? Like, wait, she has a book? Yeah, she's, like, reading a book. Like, that wasn't there. Like, she's never had a book here before. Who gave her a book? I, like, maybe that's part of, like, the luxury that she's, like, why do I have all these luxuries, maybe. Like, I don't know. But either way, she's reading a book. And um, she's, like, why are we being treated so well? We don't see what book it is, do we? No, because it's open, and then she just closes it and puts it down. So, as far as I can tell, it's not, like, it it just kind of looks like like a leather-bound journal or something like that. So, I'm I'm not sure. Um, Echo tells us that Asgeta warriors scar their faces because it symbolizes that the pain is over, but they never forget. So, I guess, you know, because this is, like, the biggest pain of her life, she finally scars her face and then, like, well, get, she, and then by the time that it, like, once it's healed, that's when it's, like, it's over and now I cannot be sad anymore. Right. Well, it's a part of her culture that she, like, never participated in either mm-hmm. because she was a spy. Yeah. So she couldn't have scarred her face for, like, anything else. But it's a part of her cur- culture that's still, like, important to her and, like, how she was raised and, like, gives her a way to process her feelings. Yeah. So I get it. And like we said last episode, um... She has night blood because they were like gonna turn her into Simone. And yes, do you remember why like that didn't work out? I can't remember. Did she? She just ran away, right? She just got away. I can't remember why she wasn't turned into Simone. I think because Russell changed his mind and uh, decided to do it to Abby instead. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> frick that guy. Yeah, Russell just changed his mind and was like, "All right, since you've gone against me, I will murder you." Yeah, and so then Octavia is like, "Hey, sit down and let me call you a." And my first, my first thought is ambulance. Some paramedics? But I was, yeah. like, I was oh. like, what, like, what, call you a guard person? Medic? Who? I, I was, I would say medic. Sit down, let me call you a Levitt. Let me call Levitt. <laughs> He's the only guy I know in here who's nice. Yeah. So, something that Orlando actually did tell them, she says that Orlando told them that they only care about the war, and so they're being recruited. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess that their scripture is kind of just being repeated over the speakers all the time. Because as soon as the door opens, we start hearing it again. And so I wrote down what it said. And at the end of there, we got to the point where it's like, there will come a time again soon where we will test it to a man and we will be victorious for all mankind. Which we heard that time when they were walking through the... Yes. I think it was Welcome to Bardo. Uh, I think it was Welcome to Bardo that um, we heard that. So clearly it like repeats. Right. But I got some of the beginning part. Purity, so there must have been some sort of beginning of the sentence. Then purity of mind, purity of purpose. We are blessed to live in an age where we have conquered our lesser emotions. The great battle that is to come will be recorded in this life or the next. War, pestilence, famine, death. Eventually it does, we talk over, dot, dot, dot. There will come a time again soon where we will be tested to a man we victorious for all mankind. Mm. Like, this is all, like... <laughs> Conquering our lesser emotions is such a, like, straight male thing to say that it <laughs> right. makes me want to barf. Yeah. I think it's, like, sometimes, like, there are some buzzwords in here, but other than that, I'm just like, okay, sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whatever. But, but, like, why is this... Why is that Cadigan's mission? Like, what... Mm-hmm. What, how does that fold into his mission statement and, like, what he is as a cult leader and, like, you know? Yeah. So, the Dios has also come out to the hallway and I just wanted to say also that Anders looks right at Echo's black blood. So, we now know that that's not what they were testing for. Oh, yeah. Right? Because that's we thought maybe they were testing for that right. when Octavia first showed up. But Anders stares right at Echo's face and she clearly has black blood all over her face. So, I don't think that's what they're testing for. Right. And we didn't see them, like, get classified as clean or whatever either. Right, exactly. Um, And apparently their training starts tomorrow and that will make disciples of you yet. <laughs> and if I was hoping Echo, Echo, I'd be like, I already did this. Like, I, I'm already okay. a level 12. Like, right. I went through this already. Yeah. So then we go back to see Gabriel. And so we were trying to figure out the timeline. It's like either they were in those cells for three months and they just started their training or... That they were in the cells for like maybe two days and then for the past three months they've been training and I think it's the latter. I think you're correct because it does not feel like the amount of time we spent with them in those cells was three months. No, definitely like, that's not. that's absurd. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, however, I do have to say the, the time jumps, the amount of time jumps we're getting is ridiculous. Astronomical. So Gabriel is working with some of the other people on the code breaking team and he's like, I am so bored. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he says it's not science, it's just guesswork. So I guess they're just doing it randomly. Like, they're like, beep, boop, beep, boop, They're just, like, dialing different things in and getting nothing. And he's like, I'm tired of this, Grandpa. Well, that one didn't work, so I guess we'll go beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, except the last one will be a different beep. Like, they're clearly doing something. Yeah. Because, like, the guy says, like, they learned to harness the power from the anomalies. Yeah, but the last time- Is that, like, what's fueling your station? Like, huh? That's, yeah, the last time they broke one of the codes was before he was born. And also, I looked at his face, and this dude is at a level 11. Okay. Okay. And he says it was a 10-digit code that allowed them to harness the power of the anomaly. So, like, isn't Are, isn't that, like, what we do? Like, before you were doing it, did you just not have the power of the anomaly? Like, like somehow Cadigan got over here. So, like, how did well, he I, use the anomaly without knowing how to harness the power of the anomaly? <laughs> I don't think that's what they're... I don't think that's what he means by power, harnessing the power. Okay, what do you think he I means? think he means, like, harnessing the power, I think, allows them to, like, use it for, like, literal power. Like... Oh. Like, technological power. That was my interpretation of it, but... What do you mean by technological power? Like, nuclear power, or, like... Oh. Oh. Like, that's how we turn on the lights? Yeah. So they just didn't have lights before then? (laughs) I don't know. No, I mean, they had... They probably had lights, but, like, they... I don't know. I don't know either. That was my... I thought it was, like, 
this is our power source now. Sure. It's also this rock. So um, then the anomaly turns on and people are coming in from Nakara, which I guess is weird because no one ever does that because everyone on Nakara is dead. Right. I don't, okay, I don't want to do the math on this anymore. And I think that's kind of what they were counting on. <laughs> they were counting on you giving up on the math. Because I they gave me the enough information to figure out the time dilation between Bardo, Skyring, and Sanctum. Mm-hmm. But now, like, it's been three months on Bardo, but it's only been, like, maybe a few hours on, Sa- on, 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 on Nakara. And, like, I don't, like, it's just... And, like, three months from when? Like, like, how, like, what, were they there for, like, a day? Or, like, they were there for, like, half half an hour or or something like that? And so now I'm just, like, I I don't have enough information to then figure out what the time dilation is on Nakara, and does it even matter? Like, like, heckin', Clark is gonna, like, walk onto the world, and she's gonna see Octavia, and Octavia's gonna be like, hi, it's been 15 years for me. Like, 15 and a half. No, 10, for Octavia, no. 10 and a half, 10 and a half years. And Echo's gonna be like, it's been... Five and a half years for me, and like, and hopes like, hi, I'm 25. Last time you uh, saw me, I was not a fetus. born. Yeah, so like, whatever. I'm I'm giving up. You win. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. However, they don't lose their memories, which means that Bardo is faster than Nakara, which is faster than Sanctum. Yeah, so Sanctum is still the slowest. But I assume that okay. So it goes from slowest to fastest, as far as we know. Sanctum, Nakara, Bardo, Skyring. Yes. So we know that, at least. Um, she also says, like, one of the other one of the other conductors, the one that wears the weird eye thing, she says that we need some disciples in here. So the conductors and the disciples are different. It's not, like, you can't be both, I guess. Yeah. Like, not every single Bardo person is a disciple. You know, it's different. And the disciples are, like, the guards, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense why some of them are wearing suits and some of them aren't. Like that one time when we went to see his TED talk. Right. But I still don't really understand why they're wearing suits when they're not going anywhere. So like, are you just one or the other? Are there children on Bardo? Like, or do you just pop out fully formed? I don't, what, how, what's the deal? The map seemed like there was, but I don't know. So then Gabriel says that they have been waiting for you, Clark. So clearly Gabriel knows why Clark is the key now, but we don't. Um, she asks about Octavia and Echo and Bellamy, and he says, Octavia and Echo are here, but Bellamy is dead. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. If like, you say so, buddy. I have a hard time believing that. So, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Anders start walking down the street, and he's like, I'm so excited. He gets on the elevator at level 10, which, according to the map, is supposed to be cell block 2, and he goes to level 13. But it's like... For us, is like, he just who came knows? from the stone room. Yeah, so who knows? Well, Anders wasn't in the stone room when Clark was there. Oh, just Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But he goes to level 13, so we knew there was, so there's our final, like, finally we get a, a secret level 13. The reveal. Here we are. Although, I do have to say that the map that Octa- or that Orlando showed them said that level 8 was cryo slash labs in parentheses shepherd or circled shepherd. So what's the truth? Like, what? That map was just wrong. So who made the map? Like, like, is, was this a mistake? Like, I wonder if all of the people other than Anders think that the shepherd is on level eight. Uh-huh. And maybe they have a bunch of cryo chambers in level eight. And so, so they all like go and like worship the shepherd on level eight. But it's in, but secretly the shepherd is in on level 13 and only Anders knows. Okay. Sure. Whatever. So then he goes into the sepulcher chamber or it's like sepulcher or something, but it's a, a sepulcher or a sepulcher is a small room or monument cut in rock or built of stone in which a dead person is laid or buried. He not dead though. 
So, okay. He's just sleeping. So he scans his eye, which means like he's the only one. And then later he also scans his hand. So yes. he's like, it's like, it's gotta be you. Double whammy. It's gotta be you. <laughs> only you. Thank you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what nice decor. And then when I saw the tweet that um, Anya Sogames sent us, check out one of the things that is on the wall. I'm interested. I am interested in showing you. Here you go. Wait a minute. Is that supposed to be Polis? That's what we're thinking. Well, that would make sense if his bunker was literally beneath a building he owned. Yeah. Oh my god. So there you go. It's a building of, we assume, Polis. Well, that, it's obviously intentional. Yes. And so when he gets in there, he says, from the ashes, through the bridge, the shepherd will rise. And on his cryo chamber, we get the second dawn symbol, like not the phoenix, the actual second dawn symbol, mm -hmm. and it's it's will it's labeled William Cadigan, and you, it's the same actor, right? Yes, but they've aged him a little bit. Uh, yeah, but it was also season four, so he could have like naturally aged. Yeah, he looks like kind of significantly older though to me, unless uh, the hair is a lot. Not a lot shorter, but it's, like, significantly styled in a right. way that, like, looks older than the right. way it was then. Because sure. it was very, like, luscious mm -hmm. at the time. And now it's like, hi, I am a cult leader. So, William Cadigan recognizes Anders. So, it's not like Anders changes bodies, which I thought that he was. And so I realized something. I don't think that the first disciple means that he was the first one chronologically. I yeah. think first disciple is something like first officer. Yeah, like he's I agree. like the main guy, you know? Yeah. So I think that's what it is. And definitely he has seen him previously, um, whether or not he was like significantly younger when he last saw him. But like maybe the first disciple is the only person who has like just the highest disciple. Yeah. And I don't know if he like was, you know, voted in or if he like I don't know. Either way, there you go. I really feel like he should have 13 symbols, though. You know, oh, if anybody was going to have sure. it, it should be him. But okay. He says, please call me Bill. And he's like, okay, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Big fanboy. Yeah. We have to go. We have to see Bill. <laughs> he automatically knows that he's being woken early, I guess, because, I don't know, a war isn't raging or and something. And I'm just like, sir, how can you tell time? You've been... You've been in cryo. And he's like, have we cracked the code? So I guess once they crack a certain code, the war will begin. So maybe right. Clark is the key because she knows how to crack the certain code or whatever somehow. Or like, or she's like the like piece that, like, is she the destructor? Like, is she, yeah. Like, is she Care Thrace, the harbinger of death? Like, mm -hmm. what's going on here? Yeah. So um, I'm just going to really quickly look at the questions that I still have, which is what happened to Colin? Still don't know. How does Orlando know who Hope is if she's been gone for hundreds of years? Don't know. What law did Dev break? We talked about him, but we still don't know why he was sent to Skyring. What's the difference between the master and the shepherd? We've now seen the shepherd, but we still don't know who the master is. If that's even going to be brought back, because they have not brought it up in a while. Hope knew that Dioza fought the MCAP. I don't know if that's even ever going to be answered. Why is Clark the key? Still trying to learn. There were 13 symbols on Hope's face when she came through for Octavia. No answer there. The concept of she's clean and testing her, still don't have an answer for that. And who are they fighting? We also don't know. So <laughs> no answers, no questions answered here. And I don't know about next episode because although we're going to get a lot of answered answers, not really any of the ones that I have written here, I don't <laughs> think. Other than maybe why is Clark the key? We might learn that one. But I would um, like to know. Yeah. And uh, next episode is the halfway point. I am looking forward to next episode way more than I thought I was going yeah. to. Yeah. I was like, 
the trailer, I was like, ah! I was like, all right, we're gonna go back to a time where, like, none of these characters we care about are there, and, like, none but of But then they were like, Becca? And we were like, whoop! <laughs> yeah, it was like, I don't care about this mythology, and then they're like, it's about Becca and Cadigan, and I'm like, well, maybe I care about this mythology. Oh, All right. So, yeah, that's our end of our discussion for this episode. Um, we know that this episode was really important for a lot of different characters. Um, and so if you think that we didn't go in depth enough on a certain character, you know, like everyone always thinks about their favorite character in a way more deep way than everybody else does. So if you think, you know, we got a lot into Echo's um, thought process and what's going on with Echo this episode, but if Echo's your favorite character, you may, you may have even more thoughts and some things that maybe we missed. And so we just wanted to invite anybody, not necessarily just about Echo, Echo, Octavia, any of the characters that we really, um, went, that when we were really in on this episode, even other characters totally up to you but we were hoping maybe like a two-minute voicemail if you would like to to send it to a fiction at gmail.com and we're going to be um listening to them and talking about them and playing them on next episode so um we would love to hear from you if you would like if you would not like and we get zero <laughs> voicemails then hey that's just life and I'm willing to just like, you know, take that bullet and look like a dumbass right now. Um, but yeah, so thank you for your service. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, so yeah, if you think if you have more thoughts on a character that you think, you know, hey, you guys missed that one specific line that was really, really important, go ahead and send us a voicemail about it. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. Um, preferably MP3s <laughs> to uh uh, fiction albums podcast at gmail.com and we're gonna be uh we're gonna be playing them next episode yeah. even though next episode is gonna be real long i assume but yeah hope you guys uh, uh would like to and i would love to hear from you thank you so i realized that i didn't um give anybody a deadline which is kind of important because <laughs> once the podcast is edited it's edited so um i'm gonna say that if you want to send in a voicemail to a podcast at gmail.com, a two-minute voicemail, it needs to be sent in by noon PST on Friday, July 10th. Yeah, so that that's your that's your cutoff. I can't I can't ensure anything sent after that will be put in the podcast. Um so yeah, please get us in your voicemails by then. Thanks. So now we're gonna be going into segments. My first segment is the post-apocalyptic Sasquatch, which is my favorite line award, and mine goes to Hope and Dioza for Bad plan. Okay, then tell me how the hell you got out the last time. That's dishes, young lady. Mom, I'm serious. I love Ivana's, like, face in this moment. She's like, hey. She's like, wait a minute. You're not supposed to swear. You're ten. I was supposed to be able to parent you for eight more years. (laughs) Right. And my favorite line award goes to Dioza as well for... Earth is gone. Blown up. Twice. 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 (laughs) I'm like, it really did blow up twice, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I miss Earth. Mm-hmm. I'm I glad next season. I'm glad next episode is going to be on Earth. Yeah, I, I, I missed that guy. Yeah, yeah. I like you know. I never get to see Earth. I never spend any time on Earth. I right. I don't know anything about Earth, so I'm really excited <laughs> to like you know see Earth, learn more about Earth next episode. Big fan of that mythological planet. There. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of it. So, <laughs> uh, my first segment is what is Sam shipping the most this episode? And like I said before, that's any relationship that I find the most compelling this week. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Hope and D because their scenes were fantastic and I really just felt the most for that relationship. Yeah. And uh, you're lucky that Love Tavia wasn't in this episode or else I would give it another honorable mention. (laughs) (laughs) I will give an honorable mention to the Bellamy and Echo kiss because I just thought it was really well shot. Yeah. So shout out to that. 
<laughs> I love how Lindsay's like, if I were to have an on-screen kiss, this is how I would want people to see it. And I'm like, I get it. Um, so my next segment is the most valuable protagonist award. So this week's MVP, I'm gonna give it to Amori. Nice, yes. Yeah. She deserves it. Yeah. And um my segment in in honor of Britney and as well as our fallen uh Cabbie fandom. Our fallen Cabbie fandom is did anyone mention Kane or Abby this week? And the answer is uh they sure did not. Yeah. They were like not we did all. it we did it like five times at the beginning there, like 10, 15 times at the beginning there, so now we don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Who? Uh how many episodes since the last murder? Forget about it. No, no, no. Nelson did some murder. Uh, uh, some some light murder. Yeah, his, uh, some murder some, occurred. Some light patricide. I feel like that's... Was that it, though? I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But thanks, Nelson. Way to go, buddy. So now it's time for our trailer reaction. And this next episode is called Anaconda, and it is the... For what reason, we do not know. Yeah. Yeah, that's my main thing, is like, why is it called Anaconda? No idea. Maybe it'll be something about the giant snake that eats people in lakes. Like, who's who's, who's to say? But um, it is the backdoor pilot for the prequels uh, series. If that is still happening, I, I don't know. I, it hasn't been picked up. And it's officially. dependent on, like, how well the season does, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, here we go. Three, two... One, play. How the hell are you here? That's a very long story. That's a very long story. Uh-huh. I have to shut it down. The missiles are in the air. I've already sent the chopper. I gotta say, that shot of the bunker really just, like, sent me back to when yeah. I cared. It, it, like, a lot. Yeah. Like, I've heard the stuff about like the new characters and everything i think i don't i don't think we see him in this trailer but one of the main three cast members that they like announced or whatever was mm-hmm. on a couple episodes of riverdale oh um, yeah he played trev brown in season one <laughs> he like went on like one date with betty but uh and also one of the characters is cadigan's daughter apparently as well i don't know much about that's what it looks like yeah yeah i don't know much about the prequel is there like an official summary of it out because i i've just heard like rumors of it being not. like set during a time when the first bombs fell basically i don't yeah i don't i don't actually know but the blurb for it is like the past clark confronts a new adversary a surprising connection takes us back to the plat to bat. is it is it a surprise <laughs> <laughs> takes us back to the past and the nuclear nuclear apocalypse that destroyed the earth i'm just really interested in seeing like becca and cadigan stuff and like how they answer also that the confusion time there yeah yeah because she went she was in space yeah when it happened when prime fire happened when the when oh, the yeah. bombs fell she was yes. in space yes oh yeah hmm. what so, are you gonna do guys like is there like something does she have something to do with the stone like once she comes back to earth yeah like because she knew about like there and, and he wasn't saying now that she knows about the stones and like was part of the research with uh-huh. like going to the planets and the time dilation and stuff yeah. so and he was wasn't uh if y'all he wasn't me- in the bunker so yeah, i don't know well he wasn't in the bunker well he certainly wasn't when we got there like maybe that's the whole thing where it's like there are no bodies here it's all spick and span or whatever like maybe that's the thing is that like they were in there they all did go in there but then they left because they like well maybe maybe the stone it. was in the bunker yeah and they we left don't know and where. turned it off on their way out yeah that's what i think I'm just interested in how it all connects and how, and whether or not it's gonna, like, conflict with past canon. Mm-hmm. Because, like... It feels like it might. Yeah. Yeah. So, here, let's go through the to the trailer here. So, we've got um, Clark and Co. Everyone's just, like, <laughs> surrounding Bill Cadigan. And they're like, Gabriel, you can stay. <laughs> 
you know? Um, and she's like, how are you here? Because obviously she, in season four, mm-hmm. like, saw all his stuff. And he's like, it's a long story. And I'm like, I'm interested. You tell me. It's so, like, so sir. this is like, this is the bunker, right? Yeah. Oh, so like, yeah. That's the bunker. So clearly like, that's they were. The, that's the center mm-hmm. conclave that Octavia turned into the ring. So they can't have just like left and found the anomaly stone. That means like the, the anomaly stone has to have been in the bunker, right? That's my assumption because like apparently, like you said, the world had was supposedly on fire for years. Well, that was after McCreary, like. Oh, that's after McCreary's yeah. bomb, not. Yeah. Okay. But, like, still, the radiation would have been toxic for anybody to go above. Yeah. Okay. For several years. Do they have, like, a sky... Do they have a skylight or is that just a light? That's a light. Okay. And then we have these two characters, which I guess is Cadigan's wife and Cadigan's daughter? Maybe? But, like, isn't the prequel is supposed to, like, take place on Earth? So, like, did Cadigan leave his wife and daughter behind? I just think it's weird that, uh... Well, he... He's... In the promo, he says that he sends a chopper for him, but for them. But do we know that they're his family? Like, is that confirmed? Oh, maybe that isn't Callie. Because oh. Callie's the one who's supposed to be Cadian's daughter. So maybe I just thought like, oh, look, a young girl. That must be her. But I'm just, is that confirmed though? Like, is I, I just said? read that on Twitter. I, oh, okay. I just read that on Twitter. I don't know for sure. I assumed that it was just because people, that's what people said. But right. So I guess I, I didn't I see an official source on that. Yeah, no, no, no. I, you're yeah. valid. Yeah. I just haven't seen it myself, yeah. so I'm like, do we know for sure who these people are? Like, I guess not. No. I'm, I'm assuming if he sent a helicopter for them, they're important to him. So yeah. it's probably, if he has a wife and daughter, that's probably them. Right. But another thing is, like, if he did leave some people behind in the bunker, I think it's funny that, like, when they emerged from the bunker, they, like, cleaned up after themselves. Right. Because <laughs> it was very nice. It was like, pristine. They... Like, yeah. no one ever got there. Yeah. And, like, like, they left radiation suits in there. Why wouldn't they have also still used it as a home? Okay. So Becca says, we need to shut it down. Is she talking to him? I, like, can you tell? Yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's supposed to yeah. be him, I think, yeah. Like, how do you know somebody and then set them on fire, you know? Right. Like, obviously the primes are like, we do it all the time, <laughs> but... So, like, this clearly must cover both when the bombs fall and after Becca gets down to Earth again, With Nightblood and stuff. With the Nightblood and I the guess. flame. I guess so. Because if she's in the bunker, it's a considerable amount of time later. Yeah. A lot of these shots are just people, like a group of groups of people going, oh, oh, and I'm like, ah, yeah. stop trying to conceal things from me. So then we get the, like, all of the explosions all over Earth, which maybe this is a shot of Becca looking down and seeing them because mm-hmm. um, she was supposed to still be in space when this happens. Yeah, I've sent the chopper, so. And he's like some sort of like hologram or something in this, in this shot. It's interesting to me that like this, the chopper is flying over what looks like Polis Post- apocalypse mm-hmm. like it's very like it looks like a cobbled together like tent city sort of how thing. does a heck how does a hecalopter survive the explodies like are they supposed to or is this supposed to be before the explosions and they get to and he needs to because they're too this far. is this is while the explosions are happening and the helicopter is flying to polis slash the bunker to bring them back because to they're too to far him. away to get to the bunker and he needs them because they're his family or whoever they are. Right. Okay. I pray that they, I pray that you're both on it. Yeah. So he's talking to them. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And the explosions are happening and there's a giant explosion and like, that's it. I feel like most of this trailer, except for the Becca scene, will happen in the first like 10 minutes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, 20 minutes given that we've got to have an introduction with Clark and then True. then fall into the flashbacks. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, here we go. 
show. Oh, man, that episode's going to be, like, our podcast's going to be so long, and my notes are going to take 35 billion I'm so years. sorry. Yeah. Thank you in advance for your service. Not a problem. Oh, it's probably going to be um, chronological as well, just just prepare. For yeah, that. for sure. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. Please, if you are so inclined, write us a review on iTunes. We like those, and we also have a survey. It's just perpetually open. It's in the description. We'd love to hear some things that you like about the podcast or some things that you think we could work on. Um, yeah, but if you don't want to write a whole review on iTunes, you can also just use those, the little, those little stars. That'd be cool. <laughs> and by iTunes, I mean Apple Podcasts. I need to change it on here. <laughs> if you're a fan of Riverdale, we like to talk about that show, too. Uh, it is our other... CW uh, drug of choice. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. Uh, it's a really fun podcast. Go check it out. Oh, so much fun. There's like a murder mystery every single season and it's like so much fun to theorize about. <laughs> like in a way that like this, this is also fun to theorize about, but like Riverdale is fun to theorize about in like the like least stakes ever. Cause like, does yeah. it, cause it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not going to make sense anyway. Um, if you're a fan of Lost, we like to talk about that show too. Um, we did the first two seasons. Um, it's spoiler free. So if you want to watch for the first time with us, you can. Um, if you've heard that it's too confusing, first of all, just pay attention and And second of all, listen to the podcast and I will lay out every single thing you need to make sure that you noticed. But we are just starting season three and I'm thrilled because I really love season three. (laughs) If you're a fan of Star Trek, we like to talk about that show too. We have a whole uh, season one podcast for Star Trek Picard. Uh, We have a round table out for that as well with a few of our friends. Um, We, Brittany and I have some plans to do more Star Trek content in the future. If you're a fan of Stranger Things, we like to talk about that show too. We did all of season one. We are currently doing season two all throughout all of 2020, all of 2020. And then we're doing season three in all of 2021 hoping just just praying for season four you can follow the aficionados on twitter facebook tumblr instagram redbubble youtube mostly twitter but robin makes gifts of our favorite line awards so please go give her some love our patreon is patreon.com slash the aficionados if you like what we do here please consider donating because it's expensive um if you donate any amount you get early access to all of our podcasts at least one week and um five dollars or more gets you 10 percent off at shoppylux.com even if you don't have the 10 percent off go check out shoppylux.com all the links are in the description and you can get something really cool while also helping us out you can follow me on twitter at, at sam casey's which is s-a-m-c-a-s-u-y-s and you can follow me personally at robin e jeffrey that's r-o-b-y-n-e-j-e-f-f-r-e-y pretty much everywhere next episode is episode 708 it's called anaconda like we were just saying it's the backdoor pilot for the pre- that may or may not happen and uh it's the name of a snake um, <laughs> and, and a Nicki Minaj song uh I don't know anything else about why it would be called that but. <laughs> maybe we'll learn next week uh you know it's Anomaly gonna- also s- s- sounds like it also starts with A-N it's gonna be really weird if we go through the whole episode without like touching on anything related to like anacondas or mm-hmm. snakes or like any reason that this episode could be named anaconda and mm-hmm. we just watch the whole thing and it's like over and it's like why? yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay love you bye okay love you bye